My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? In 1776, John Dee foretold the British Empire while channeling an angelic language with the help of scryer Edward Kelly, and nearly 400 years later, English was the first global language in known history. Soon after Dee's death, the British Empire rose to prominence, and at one point boasting territories on nearly every continent. Today's guest himself has rose to podcasting prominence with his show, The Amish Inquisition. Hailing from the mystical British Isles, land of the many megaliths, Amish Phil joins us for the first time here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Mystic Mark. Thank you for tuning into this episode with Amish Phil. Isaac Newton was the president of the Royal Society and what was it, probably the 1720s, something like that. And, and he was well known for being interested in occult subjects and alchemy, as well as, you know, his Principia Mathematica, whatever it was, like his famous book that he did, that no one's ever read. <laughs> well, I haven't read it. So yeah, it, and yeah, the, the Royal Society's tenants seem to have been founded on Freemasonry. The Royal Society adopted that philosophy and it was incredibly important at the time because of the historical context in which the society was formed. In 1660, the period of the Reformation, England had just come through, what, 12 years of a bloody civil war with Cromwell. And when you look at the founding 12 members, it's interesting because they're pretty much split evenly between royalists and parliamentarians, people who supported the king and people who supported Oliver Cromwell and the new model army. You think, well, I mean, the, the monarchy was restored earlier that year. We went back to the, Charles II came back from France and took over the monarchy. And then we have this society forming that wasn't called the Royal Society at that point because it didn't get its charter till a couple of years later. But that's why, that's where the term invisible college comes from. Robert Boyle, the physicist, there was someone found a letter that he'd wrote to one of the other members. And he talks about our invisible college it wasn't the Royal Society then, it hadn't received its charter. But it's just strange that these, these guys would get together at that time. And the main purpose of it was for naval power. That was his selling point to the King, to King Charles, to get this Royal Charter. Look, I've got all these guys together, got these scientists and these nobles, 
we're gonna we're gonna help rebuild the the navy because the navy had been decimated during the civil war and it just goes to show like if you if you imagine this is like 1660 there's no great britain there's no british empire there's no great britain great britain doesn't exist till 1707 with the acts of parliament so there's no british empire but this this group come together and start improving this technology scientific inquiry helping the navy and if they hadn't you know instead of watching the new york yankees you might be watching the new amsterdam yankees and we could be having this conversation in dutch or french because you might not have got a british empire at the end of the day wow. it's mad it's mad how that you can play these games of like historical what ifs what if this didn't happen what if this guy didn't make that decision at that time what could the ramifications be it's just interesting to think about i think Ladies and gentlemen, we're here live on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And joining me is a gentleman from across the pond. I never liked that phrase, but I'll use it. And he had me on his show about a year ago, a little less than that. Back in August, I was in the front seat of my car, staying at a hotel at the moment, sort of in flux. And here we are broadcasting. This will be my first interview from this new studio. So Amish Phil, welcome to the show, brother. Thank you for being here. For those who have never heard of you before, if that's possible, because he is a part of Alt Media United and he's at the top of the list with a name like the Amish Inquisition for a podcast. But tell us about it, brother. I am okay. Almost a year. <laughs> yeah, man. Thank you, thank you. Are you using yeah, voice changer right now? By myself. <laughs> Are you using a voice changer right now? All of a sudden, you got really tinny, like a broadcaster in like a old, old like radio commercial or something. Oh fuck! Is it was right? It's just like really thin. Yeah. Oh shit! It happened the other week. This as soon as we started recording, uh, just hang on. Uh, you have to do uh, rotate and uh, enhance, magnify. I'll start. Is that better? You Oh my god! You sound like a. Now you sound like Dracula's uncle or something. What's going on with that? <laughs> That's what I use when we're talking about like YouTube or Google or anything. Oh, you know. Oh, okay. So you're prepping me right now at the beginning of the conversation. Yeah. I appreciate that. That would have surprised me, but we needed that. <laughs> Let's just pepper that in throughout the interview as, you know, wherever you see fit, Phil, wherever you see fit. That was, I'm just, uh, welcome to Amish punked. I just got punked. <laughs> no, I'm just fucking around. I love toys. I love toys. Especially when it comes to audio and we play a lot of sound clips and, and media clips and funny sound bites and stuff like, I'm a big OBDM fan, so I get a lot of in inspiration for them and uh, No Agenda and other podcasts like that, so... It's fun, isn't it? Just to dick around every now and again. Especially Bring when the up. world's dropping when the world's dropping to pieces around you. Right. <laughs> right. I say bring it on. The more the merrier. We we have a soundboard in this studio. I do not use it nearly enough, but I'll turn the volume up on that just in case. But yeah. Where can folks tune in for all this wackiness? <laughs> <laughs> well, anywhere we where podcasts are served, as our mate Charlie Robinson would say. 
we're podcast 2.0 2 compliant. So, and all the major platforms we're on. We're hanging on to YouTube by the skin of our teeth. And uh, we're on most of the alternate video channels as well. So, you just search for Armis Inquisition, you'll find it. Or go to the website, armisinquisition.com. And you will find us there. And you can join in the merriment and the wackiness and the esotericness. So, and we cover a lot of the same sort of stuff, you and you and me, Mark. Now we love esoteric uh, symbolism, ancient history, alternate history, all these kind of subjects. Where the, anywhere where there's a mystery, really, is is what interests me. And we're all about trying to learn learn about it. Talk to people who have lots of experience in these sort of realms and glean what we can and and move on and and try and have fun while we do it. And then, like the second half of the show, we do the news, and that's when we get a bit silly and play sound effects and news clips and trying to figure out what's going on in the in the profane world. Undoubtedly, yeah, brother. And I have to check out your show. It's definitely very similar. You guys get some fantastic guests on there. But when did this all start? I mean, you, you've been interested in all these things. Was it something that you particularly had a fascination with when you were a kid? Was this something that happened later on in life? When did this all spur out? I think it started when I was probably in my mid-twenties. I'm 38, I'm 39 now. I think it was in the mid-twenties when I started reading. I started to sort of abandon a lot of these circuses, the bread and circuses, like sports and TV box sets and, and all this kind of stuff, and started reading again. Graham Hancock was a big influence early on, picked up Fingerprints of the Gods, that was a a defining moment for me when I read that because it just opens up this world of possibilities and mystery and, and you know and I'm, I guess I'm interested in our story where did we come from why are we here all the big questions you know and rather than just taking the mainstream view that is fed to us through the indoctrination I mean the uh, education system I'd rather sort of listen to voices who were what would be called heretics back in the day people who'd be burnt at the stake having certain views i think they're often more interesting to listen to personally so i don't think there's like one defining it wasn't a childhood thing i've always been interested in history as well so i think that ties into it i remember being at high school and learning about the romans and i was really it was like the only class i enjoyed at the time was going and learning about the romans i didn't give a shit about any of the other stuff and uh so i've carried that on and there's so many great podcasts when it comes to ancient history as well. Uh, I remember when I first found Dan Carlin's show, Hardcore History, and, and uh, what's the other one? Mike Duncan's uh, The History of Rome podcast. That's another great one. And yeah, so I've been sort of nurturing this fascination with ancient history and, and carrying that through and, and just seeing where it leads. And just, I'm just sort of just I was a hunger to soak stuff up, you know, to soak information up and I just wish I could retain half of what I soak in, you know. Mm. Do you ever feel like you read a book and you get to the end of it and you think, fuck, what have I just read? I can hardly remember anything. <laughs> I do I do that more often than I'd like. I, I get to like the end of the chapter and I'm like, damn it, I got to start this chapter over. I have no idea what I just read because, you know, your mind wanders. But that's what I love about the podcast because for whatever reason, and I imagine you're probably like this too, when I started listening to podcasts, I was doing something, you know, I was, well, I remember Spotify had the Joseph Campbell lectures. That was the first 
audio thing I ever really like spent time listening to. And I'm just washing dishes, listening, and I started remembering what was going on much better than, you know, I could retain something that I was reading. And yeah, there's really something to that, you know, the, the body movement, you know, driving is the other way that I listen to podcasts. You know, when you're driving, you kind of have that like consciousness sort of your, your awareness is, is shifted in two parts, you know, and that second part is sort of seeping in, you know, in this way that I don't know, maybe it's the indoctrination system that punches that out of us, you know, knocks it out of us. I mean, I remember some some stories from my grandparents about how the nuns literally would just beat them if they answered something wrong, you know, and we're the generation raised by those people, you know. So I think there's definitely something to that and the low attention span. But Dan Carlin's history podcast, that's a big one. I've never listened to that for whatever reason, hardcore history, that's the name of it. I escaped me for a second. I, I never, I never was drawn to it, but what were some other podcasts that you listened to at that time? Was that, you know, you mentioned OBDM. Was this or before you got your podcast going that you were listening to these? No, I don't think it was. I'm an, I'm a really early adopter when it comes to podcasts. I remember uh, listening to the Ricky Gervais Podfather series, which I think came out in maybe 2005. There was uh, there's a, a a couple of guys in the UK called Adam and Joe, and they had a, like a comedy show, like a really indie, what do you call it, off the wall comedy show in the sort of mid 90s to late 90s, and they released a, a podcast series around the same time. So I was listening to those two. I listened to started listening to Joe Rogan pretty early on, and then sort of fell out with that over over the years. But yeah, it wasn't till later when I started discovering what you'd call probably the more altern alternative, because they're all mainstream podcasts. They were produced by the BBC. I mean, Joe Rogan's, I suppose you could argue he's mainstream now because he's with Spotify and he's huge and he's massive. But at the time, I, I guess he wasn't. I guess he was kind of an indie guy, you know, back in the right. late 2000s. So yeah, I, I don't know when I first came across like, what was like the first, old, it must have been Grimerica. It was Grimerica. Of course it was. Yeah, I'd heard Randall Carlson on Joe Rogan. And then I was uh, <laughs> hungry for more. So I put Randall Carlson into my Podbean app. And the first one that came up was Grimerica. I thought, all oh, right, what's this? I'll listen to this. So that was, I don't know. I, th I, think, I think Randall might have been on there in 2013, maybe. So that's probably when I started listening to Grimerica. And then you sort of, because you're listening to Grimerica regularly, you get to hear other podcasters who go on their show and you hear about other shows and it's sort of spread out from there, really. That's why I love what we're doing right now, because just like that, Grimerica was a big inspiration for me. I can't say they were the first podcast that got me into the alternative realm. I think it was Tinfoil Hat because I was into... Joe Rogan as well, but I was looking for like Joey Diaz and all these other comics that were on his podcast. So I started listening to all the comedy store podcasts and then I find this guy, 
that everybody has some opinion about Sam Tripoli, you know, and I, and I, I remember hearing like, oh yeah, conspiracy theories, you got to talk to Sam Tripoli and my ears started ringing. I'm like, I got to listen to what this guy's talking about. And that's when I first found Tinfoil Hat and Greg Carlwood was on there, Grimerica was on there and it was off to the races from there. But yeah, man, I, I think England in particular, where you're at, there's a certain podcast scene that was really part of like the early innovators in that realm. You know, a lot of credit goes to Adam Curry, in my opinion. I think there's some debate on who really invented the podcast, but it wasn't like, wasn't adopted when it was invented. You know, like there weren't a lot of people listening to them until Joe Rogan became this big celebrity you know about it yeah i'd agree yeah mm. yeah it was it was it was underground for several years and it's it's only fairly recently that the sort of the mainstream media companies have realized that this is something they need to pursue i mean mm. the bbc were pretty early bbc were pretty early but you know they weren't putting any money into it it was it was it would be add-ons they'd right. take uh, the morning radio show from radio one and they just make a compilation, a series of clips from that show, and then release that as a podcast. Right. Um, but now they have their, their own app called BBC Sounds. So if you want to listen to any BBC content on a podcast, you have to download their app and get it from them. Right. And that's what it's going towards, you know. Well, it's, that's like the antithesis of podcasting, isn't it? Right. You should be able to get it from anywhere at any time. That's the beauty of it and what, what what's so important about podcasting 2.0. Well, and that's something that I think we're seeing now more than ever. We see it in all sorts of art forms and, you know, creative expressions. As soon as capitalists or, you know, or the moneyed interest, not just capitalism, but the moneyed interest, as soon as they get in there, it just perverts and extorts it and turns it into something that it's not. And we're seeing that now. I mean, a lot of the early podcasts, they didn't have like sound effects and all this crazy stuff, but not not your sound buttons, but like intro music and a lot of things that I put into this show. It was just raw, like hit record, everybody talks, that's it. You know, you just listen to conversation, conversation. And I don't know, I think we're still so early into this that psychologically, we still don't understand the implications of this sort of medium, you know, because unlike radio, it's it's something that you can have on demand. It's something that you can have in your ears. I mean, some I need to stop doing that. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, like all day. I remember when I was a delivery guy, I would listen to podcasts all day. And one thing in particular that started to happen and I think Grimerica show is a great example of this is you start to notice how these podcasts are sort of synchronistically making appearances in your mundane reality in a way like the things you're hearing about on this show start to appear, you know, you're just like listening in your, in your audio realm and it appears in your physical realm and, you know, being a listener, a fellow listener of the Grimerica show, synchronicities are a big part of what they talk about in the intros. You know, rate the synchros. Darren's always pretty strict <laughs> on what qualifies for a good synchro. And Graham seems to be like the good cop in that equation, you know, good cop, bad cop synchros. But, you know, 
was that a part of your experience when you found these alternative podcasts? Like you started to notice maybe something was calling you to start your own? Well, before, Darren gave me a seven for my synchro, which I think is pretty good. So I, I, I sent them a synchro in a couple of years ago. There you go. Uh, yeah. You should what frame that and put it on the wall back there. <laughs> I know. It's, that's a high mark from Darren. It's such a... A harsh mistress. <laughs> I don't remember what your question was. What, you, what was your question? Mark? Well, when did oh. when did you start to see maybe oh, that these things why were we unusual? Well, you know, you started yeah. a podcast, and I think a lot of people have hit me up recently, like, "Yo, you inspired me to start a podcast," and I love hearing that. But I think there's something yeah. to it. Like when you see somebody doing something that you're inclined to do, maybe you're going to be really good at. There's like something, you know. So, what was that for you? Yeah, well, being an early adopter, so I'd, I'd been consuming podcasts. We started ours in 2017, and so I'd been consuming podcasts for probably over 10 years by then. So it was a regular part of my daily life, like you at work or driving or doing the dishes. Whenever I had a spur moment that didn't, you know, I would listen to podcasts and audiobooks. So, and also I've always played in bands, so I've always had microphones and cables and recorders and stuff. And I remember, I remember years and years ago wanting to start my own and it just one of those things, oh, I just never got around to it. Just, and, and, I, and I thought, well, what would I do it on? And who would do it with me anyway? <laughs> so, and, and I was out at the pub one night with my mate, Ben, and I said to him, like, I was oh, thinking about starting a podcast. He said, all right, yeah, I'll do it with you. So like the week after or two weeks later, he came around and we were in here where I am now, but this was a garage. It was just bare walls. It was fucking freezing. It was like this, it was like September or something. And you know, massive cobwebs, all that shit. So uh, he came in here and we just hit record and started talking. And there was many benefits to it to starting. What age will I have been? 2017, it's like five years ago. So I would have been 34 or something. So by then I'd, I'd had two kids and once you have kids, your social life sort of takes a nosedive. Don't socialize as much as particularly men, particularly. It's like your, your missus will ring her girlfriends up or her sister just for a chat. We don't do that. Men don't do that. We need a reason to communicate with each other, like yeah. going to a football match or a baseball game or going to the pub or maybe we go bowling or playing pool or something like we want to just ring people up for a, our mates up for a chat for half an hour i'm so glad you said that because with what i do now i'm constantly talking to people and you know, i have to remind my girlfriend that it is a lot of uh, it's it's work you know but what i do is what i love you know i just happen to be somebody who likes what they do for work you know and and i'm making some money doing this but i talk to people about podcasts every week all the time and i have a lot of podcasting friends and we'll talk about podcasting but it's like i don't know how likely it would be that i could call one of these guys up and be like hey dude can you give me some advice my transmission's busted you know like it's kind of they're at that point they're kind of like hey man i got my own life i gotta get shit done too you know and I don't know. We, we can't spread ourselves too thin, but I think what happened with COVID is a lot of people's social lives went, you know, boom, done, you know, and you see a boom of podcasting. I know your podcast started prior to the COVID thing, 
but but it definitely feels like that was a big part of it for me because you know I'm a young guy don't have kids so I was doing doing something you know I was doing stuff before I had my podcast but it wasn't anything important it wasn't anything productive other than you know working a nine to five so but yeah so you got it going your lady didn't mind right she doesn't give you any headaches about doing the podcast well, it's one night a week. It's Sunday night. Come on, give me. I've got to have one night. It's not like I'm going to the club. I don't go to the football anymore. So I used to go to football like uh, once or twice a week sometimes to watch football, but I'd, I'd stopped doing that long before. And uh, yeah, and it was a social thing. It was it was just about and my other mate Matt came in. So there's three of us now. Me, Matt, and that's how it just started. We, we it was an ex, it was an excuse for us to meet up and bullshit and take the piss out of each other and have a laugh and maybe smoke something that you shouldn't smoke in this country and maybe have a drink as well or a beer an odd beer just an odd beer and and we would piss ourselves laughing we would have a great time and it just so happened that we recorded it and and we, we recorded something like 12 podcasts i think before we even released any didn't even bother releasing them. We were just we were just having a good time talking and recording, and so eventually we got set up with the the hosting provider and thought, well, we'll start. We'll just start putting them out there. Why not? And how many that's how do you we, have in the bank before you actually published them? We never published them. They're they're probably on a hard drive somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. You guys are like, all right, let's just keep it rolling. That'll be the lost archives. You should make an NFT yeah. with those. <laughs> yeah, it, we, we weren't expecting to like it to do anything or go anywhere. It was just we were just having a laugh. Yeah, but um, I think we got to we got to about a hundred episodes, and I we realized that we we kept going around in circles. We keep coming back to similar subjects because. Fuck, if you're doing it every week and you're doing, we were doing two hours or two and a half hours a, a week, it, it's inevitable that you're going to start repeating yourself. And I think that's when we first sort of threw out the idea of getting guests on. And I thought, yeah, we'll try that. Maybe we can get someone every other week and we'll do one a show where it's just three bullshitting and then we'll do one with a guest and we'll alternate like that week by week. And people, for some reason, agreed. And people like to come on and talk to us. And then I thought, well, I wonder if we can get a guest every week. It's a bit more work. It's a bit more emails, more, you know what it's like, sorting out calendars and fucking all that shit. So we started doing that. We started getting a guest every week. And then I guess it was probably before that, I started listening to No Agenda, and I love No Agenda. I think it's a great podcast. And I wanted to try and do something similar, but from an English point of view with our news and our media. So that's when we started doing the sort of more news analysis in the second half and uh, playing clips and trying to figure out what's going on. And then, like I said, COVID happened and then, fuck, it's like, I mean, that just, that just took over mm. every week we were doing COVID news. What's the wacky shit that's coming out this week to do with this? Yeah, that, that's like the shortest long and short of it how we got going anyway right well that's a that's a pretty like an interesting thing to to come to it's like hey guys you know maybe what we're doing is it i th i don't you know i don't know maybe it's an english thing maybe you guys are a little more honest with yourselves but i feel like there's a lot of podcasts that 
you know, maybe they need that advice. Like, hey, you guys are kind of repeating yourselves, <laughs> you know. I wonder how that type of, because I have a bunch of different podcasts that I've, you know, worked with and, and it's amazing to see all the different formats, you know, and how people innovate. But there is a sort of winning formula, you know, and it seems like people are really into hearing what's going on in the world from people they relate with, you know, people they resonate with. So that's brilliant doing it from an English point of view. You know, I try to do my show based on a lot of the influences that we already mentioned, you know, Grimerica show, Tinfoil Hat, the Higher Side Chats, of course. But we got to innovate. We've got to bring our own creative edge to it. But the same time all art is stolen right so we're gonna repeat ourselves eventually you know but there's gotta be there's gotta be some subjects that you guys have touched on that feel like never-ending rabbit holes especially in the conspiracy world i mean do you have do you guys have some favorite topics that you've hit on so far that you know maybe are are still to this day unsettled Fuck, there's so many. I mean, how many get how many guests have we had on? We must have had a hundred and fifty hundred and fifty guests, is that right? Oh maybe hundred and twenty guests, something like that. And everyone brings something unique, you know. And we were talking earlier about this series we've been doing with Ryan Seven. And that's my favorite sort of area, the like occult, one of my favorite areas, like occult symbolism, how it works its way through our history and where the threads are. There's so many, Is I mean, the series is basically about esoterica. We've touched on every area I can think of, whether it's the tarot or sacred geometry, symbolism, ancient history, lost civilizations. And just seeing where all the threads can link together, that's what fascinates me. Right. And it's almost like this sort of, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with this movie, They Live with the glasses. Like when you when you take this understanding out with you into the real world and start to look at maybe buildings, signs, just anything, you start to see these occult symbols repeat themselves. I was in New York City yesterday. I saw a restaurant and... You brought up the tarot, their their logo was the fool card. So I thought, yeah, that's a kind of a foolish place to go. I wouldn't go there. But uh <laughs> but you know. Oh well, well, you know, the the fool, the fool was the only guy in the kingdom who could who could make fun of the king. Right. Well, you know, the court jester. Unfortunately, a lot of the comedians that are out there today forgot that and they're just sort of uh, (laughs) taking taking it up the rear end from a lot of the authoritarian, you know, dictates, we'll call them. But yeah, yeah, man, I I, that's that's the other thing. Comedy podcasts, big fan of those, but they seem to have taken a, a dip with the pandemic, as I like to call it, because a lot of those people just got caught up in the windfall of it all and their show lost the edge, you know, cause they didn't, they weren't edgy to begin with, you know, and it took this massive hoax for us to sort of see who the real ones are. I mean, one example of a, a comedian who's stayed true is uh, Jim Brewer. He was just on tinfoil hat. That guy's hilarious in the movie, uh, half baked, right. You know, and, 
He's someone who, you know, according to what he said on the interview I just listened to yesterday, he's been he's been awake to this stuff for for many many years. So it's awesome to see a show like yours have this sense of humor because a lot of the time, I think you know that Infowars style of doing. And Alex Jones has gotten more humorous over the years for sure, but that like black pill super heavy style of talking about these subjects takes the the fun out of it you know like what i'm saying when you take this understanding into the real world and you start to recognize this stuff all around you it doesn't you know have to provoke fear i never sucked anything i think a lot of the problem is a lot of these comedians are well aware what's happening but it's self-censorship that's the issue and especially if 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 some of these guys have got successful and they're putting the show's doing really well it's like they don't want to give that up. And we're at such um, an interesting, what's the old Chinese proverb, may you live in interesting times. People have got to be very careful what they say because you're going to get cancelled. So I can, I can sympathise. I can understand why why people will not sort of touch certain areas of Rona or, or the magic juice, or, you know, whatever Dr. Bill's pushing this week. But you've got to be honest with yourself at the end of the day. And it's like, you know, my kids might listen to what I've been spewing for the last two years. They might listen to it one day. And, you know, I would hope that they'll listen to it and think, well, at least he, at least he spoke out against some of the crazy shit that was happening rather than just going along for an easy life. Because uh, that road is going to go to a bad place, in my opinion. If we all adopted that attitude. Absolutely. And, you know... Jeez, if you could see the place I was yesterday, Compound Media, Anthony Cumia's studio, they, that's probably oh. the most, that's probably the most offensive place you could be. And and I, I wonder if that could even exist in England, you know, because clearly, I, like, I don't know what the free speech laws are off the top of my head, but here it's pretty famous what our free speech law is, you know, and that kind of thing maybe gets pushed to an antagonistic point in that realm but like those guys are completely reactionary you know there's so much censorship going on you keep pushing people they're gonna get extreme they're gonna want to say the most offensive word just to take the piss out of you and and feel like you know and there was an argument that went on yesterday in the the studio uh, my buddy alex stein was on this show called in hot water with uh, gino bisconti and uh, you know I'm 99. Oh, yeah. And Gino was making the point that words, you know, you, you can't give words power, you know. And I think it's more than that. I think what it is is we've been taught by authority that certain words have power and other words don't or, or certain things, certain ideas are worthwhile while others aren't. You know, it's this nanny state mentality that really it's not, you know, local to one country. I think it's happening on a global scale and it's expressing itself differently based on what country we're looking at. But do you think compound media could exist in, in England with uh, what you guys have over there for, for your laws? Oh, that's a tough one. I don't know. Cause I don't know how strict like the speech laws are in this country and there there's a bill going through at the moment called i think it's called the online harms bill and i think if this goes through this will seriously restrict what people can put online 
And uh, I'm not down with that. I think I think the internet should be like the Wild West. Right. You know, I don't I don't want to see censorship with the internet. Well, and we don't want. We, we remember, you know, we're talking about radio before. Back in the days when radio was the only way, what did they have? They had pirate radio. They had guys on big, like, ships off the coast of uh, England broadcasting, you know, anti-war messages and whatever else was being censored at that time. But I think what's really becoming a possibility for people outside of the United States is maybe hosting their podcast in the United States and sort of sending it. You know, so you guys would have your podcast like server in the United States, but you would just record yeah. it in England. Have you, have you had to consider doing that? Maybe uh, outsourcing your podcast to Iceland or something. Yeah, yeah, I've thought about it. I've thought about hosting. What um, we have a, I think we have a mutual friend, Matthew Raymer. Mm, yeah, uh, like like he has an option, doesn't he? Is he he's in Asia, isn't he? He's in yeah. Thailand, Philippines, somewhere. Philippines. So, yeah. So, yeah. As long as there's some patch of land which can have somewhere on the planet which can have a server, you've got an option there, haven't you? I, I don't. I, God, I was going to say I, I don't think it will come to that, but you just don't know. You just don't know these days and where it's going. I, I'm sensing a bit of a backlash in this country. Our dear leader, Bojo the Clown, Boris Johnson, he made a statement yesterday that men shouldn't compete in sports against women. And that was on the front page. That was front page news. Prime Minister says men shouldn't compete in sports against women. Which says a lot about where we're at. That 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 statement is front page news, but it just it does signal that there is a bit of a backlash coming from this agenda, this sort of uh, wokeism that's sprung up over the last five years. I would say it's been brewing for. Right. And, I remember and- Count Dankula. Do you remember Count Dankula being banned off everything? Right. Do you know who Count Dankula is? No. So the Count Dankula is like a Scottish comedian. And I don't know, is it five years ago, maybe? He made a YouTube video of him teaching his girlfriend's pug how to do a, na- a Nazi salute. And, you know, how to react to certain phrases, you know, phrases that a Nazi would say. And I think it was Patreon took him down. And his content wasn't on Patreon, it was on YouTube. But Patreon suspended his account and cut him off from from his funding from Patreon. And there was a big backlash at the time. I remember Jordan Peterson, he cancelled his Patreon account, and he was was making like 60, 100 grand a year off it at the time. That philosopher, Sam Harris, he boycotted Patreon at that time. And Count Dankula actually ended up in court for this and was found guilty. He didn't go to prison. He got some sort of community service order or, you know, some... Some bullshit, but he had to go through dogs, walking dogs somewhere. Fuck me. <laughs> yeah, teaching, <bullshit>. a, <laughs> yeah, teaching a pug to do a Nazi salute. I mean, this whole point of the thing. Oh man. His point is it's like this this shit, this this ideology is so idiotic. You can train a dog. You can train a dog to do a Nazi salute. That's how stupid it is. Stupid it is. But no, straight over everyone's head, right? Let's prosecute him, let's kick him off everything. And uh, so, yeah, that was years ago. And I, I remember talking about it at the time on the on our podcast. It must have been when we were in our early days. 
And it's been brewing ever since and, and building and building and building and building. And I think, I hope, we're at a bit of a, a crest now and we're going to see things start roll back and a bit of, what would you say, a bit of common sense come back into the equation because people who champion all this sort of stuff are soon going to be realising that there are more important things when they can't afford to put the heating on or they can't f- afford to fill up the car or they go to the supermarket and there's no bread. You know, people are going to realise that there are more important things than, you know, what's my fucking pronoun this week. Right. Right. Yeah, man. And it is it is amazing. Yesterday with Alex, we went around and asked people, you know, who do you like better, Joe Biden or Donald Trump? And regardless of demographic, the the votes were on the side of Trump. Most people and and Alex Stein was wearing a Biden hat. So I don't know if he was just instigating people to go against him. But but yeah, it was it was kind of an interesting thing. And I'm not saying that either side is better, but you do have this sort of this sort of disconnect more than ever between the media and the average person, which is all the better for us podcasters so long as we're not censored. I mean, it seems like just as many people started listening to these type of podcasts as there are new podcasts, you know, like for every five new podcast listeners, there's a new podcast out there. So it is awesome to see everybody sort of getting hip to we'll call it the truth i think there's maybe a soft truth and a and a, a hard truth that you and i are familiar with but the soft truth came in the form of you know QAnon, and you mentioned bojo the clown who i've heard him described as sort of like uh like a, a mini donald trump of england so to speak i don't know how accurate that is but based on what you said his headline news statement was it kind of sounds like something old trump would say but yeah what's what shit i forgot where i was going with that the bojo the clown thing got me <laughs> it's, it's just a bumbling fool right but that's the impression you get by watching, but he's not an idiot. He was classically educated. He went to the best schools, the best universities and got a degree in classics. I remember watching a debate between him and uh, a famous author and classicist called Mary Beard in the, in the UK. She's a quite well-known author and expert on Greece and Rome. And they were debating which was better, ancient Greece or ancient Rome. You know, but he, he, he portrays this persona of being this bumbling, you know, just bumbling from one crisis to the next. And you've got, I mean, you've got to give it credit where it's due. He has a certain level of charisma, which people uh, react to. A lot of people like him uh, before, well, maybe not so much now that he's in power, but I mean, before he, he became prime minister, I think he was the most popular MP in the country by a long way. Because he had this media persona as well. Before he was an MP, he would he would be on uh, like panel shows, like TV comedy news panel shows and things like that. So he had this public persona that people liked, but I think he's just a puppet, to be honest. Well, and it is interesting and sort of unsettling to see that trend. I mean, the Ukrainian president was in a freaking movie about becoming the president before he was elected president 
you see Donald Trump, obviously, with his media career, you know, with his own reality TV show. And I hope this isn't a trend, but it seems like that's where we're heading towards, you know, this sort of mass videodrome reality, you know, with TVs around every corner and just like this sort of loosh meter getting fed higher and higher and higher as people, you know, are sort of shocked uh, into numbness from the, you know, graphic violence of the mundane television, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just, I just, no one listens to me, but I would just say, turn that shit off. Right. It's no good for you. Right. It really no good for you. And it took me a long time to figure it out. And it wasn't like I just woke up one day and stopped watching TV. It was, it was like I weaned myself off it over a couple of years. That's how long it seemed to take. But yeah, you, you just, I don't know, I just came to a point in my life where I thought, I'm not getting anything out of this, you know, but I can sympathize with, with people, you know, they work hard, they have nine to five, they get home, they're tired, they make the dinner, they put the kids to bed and they just want to zone out and not have to think and just consume some media just to, I don't know, just to let them zone out and switch off so they can go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. But I got to the point where I thought, I started thinking about all the TV shows I'd watched all the box sets I'd watched and how, how many hours I'd spent consuming make-believe on a, te- on a telly screen, as George Orwell would say. And it kind of frightened me in a way. I thought, fuck, I've, I've wasted months and months of my life, probably years, doing something so unproductive. And the one thing, the one commodity that we, that we have ours that is finite is time. And we only get so much of it and we don't know how much we have. And, you know, no one got to their deathbed and said, oh, fucking hell, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd watched the Sopranos box set. Hey, man, I think those are some wise words we just heard there. I'm more- well, I mean, if, if you're going to watch the box set, watch the Sopranos. It's probably the best. <laughs> I only... I only have two box sets right now. Bruce Lee, every movie Bruce Lee made, and The Twilight Zone. Those are the only two box sets. But the rest of my DVDs are still at the old place, so haven't moved them yet. <laughs> yeah, I've got boxes through this door. I've got boxes full of DVDs, mainly films and, and stuff. And, uh, yeah, they never see the light of day now. But, I mean, it's, it's dead media. Everything's digital now, isn't it? You just on demand, you download it from whatever from whatever giant corporation is fucking us this week amazon prime or whatever they keep popping up don't they these new media platforms uh is it paramount have launched to launch their own video platform now mm. this is something we've talked about on our show is how everything's getting fragmented and whereas you know people would have netflix as their streaming service and that was it whereas now families are, are having netflix disney plus amazon prime and then you got like Hulu and uh, what's the other one? Now TV is one in the UK. And I think Apple did something where they created like the the one, you know, sort of gallery for all of them. So you can go to Apple and it'll say like, oh, this movie is available here, 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 here. So, I mean, you see it all becoming this one thing you know you have all these little companies that get started and they all make their own innovations and compete and compete and compete but eventually you know one rises to the top 
and you get that, you know, granddaddy company that ends up being the, you know, Amazon of its industry. But I mean, Amazon can't get enough of just taking on industries. It seems like their Amazon music is kind of, I don't know how many people listen to podcasts on Amazon music, but I noticed in the analytics for my hosting that now it tells me like, oh yeah, there's such and such listeners on Amazon music. You got to scratch your head and wonder how much of those are bots, especially with the <laughs> reputation for comments. You know, it's like how many have, how many of these like really popular podcasts are, is Amazon going to start to just like bot, you know, throw a bunch of bots in the equation and make them rise to the top of the charts. The, the interesting direction Amazon are going in now is medicine, telemedicine. You heard about this? No. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't know if they're operating yet in the UK, but they, they want to expand into telemedicine and, and prescriptions, you know, for drugs, drug prescriptions. So they're going to be getting into chemists and telemedicine in the near future. They just want to take over the world, basically, don't they? I mean, there's, there's no... There's no sort of uh, like groceries. They're into groceries now, aren't they? Online groceries. Now, what's the what's the average person? Because you know, for those who can't tell by your accent, you're definitely in England. And I remember what I was going to ask you before. So let me let me weave it together into a two part question here. But you're over in Leicester, right? If I'm not mistaken, because we had that conversation about Lancaster. Back Lancashire, Lancashire. That's where you're at. Yeah. Okay. And then I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And oh yeah. That that was where we had that little like uh, sync up a year ago. Sure. But but yeah, I'm I'm wondering like, is the average person where you're, you're at? I don't quite know if you're maybe in a more rural area, suburban, urban. But for people who who aren't familiar with where you're at, can you maybe help us understand like what's what's the average person where you live thinking about this whole thing you see a lot of masks when you go out to the grocery store or when you go out you know around town or or are people fed up by now well i'm in i'm in the northwest in lancashire northwest of england so that's near manchester and liverpool okay so that's that sort of area i'm like 40 miles from manchester 40 miles from liverpool okay and as far as like masks and stuff, all that is gone. All the legal requirements rem were removed. Was it last, was it March? I think it was the last re legal requirement finished in March. So that's it. There's nothing. There's no legal. You don't even have to have the magic juice to come into the country anymore uh, or leave the country. And people are still, some people still wear masks in the, in the supermarket and stuff. But I can understand why, you know, they've been, propagandized for two years and scared shitless, scared out of the wits by our, by their own government. So I can understand why people are, are still scared. Right. But I would say things are relatively almost back to normal, but they're not normal and they never will be normal because of what they did, what they did to us. But yeah, it's the, the, the some of the messaging from the media was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. We have something called, um, the, be the behavioral insights team in the UK and it's a private company, but it operates within government. And by the way, this has been exported now after the UK developed it, it's been exported all over the world. The United States are using 
behavioral insights teams as well. And uh, they, some people call it the nudge unit. And the idea is to use media messaging to nudge people into the behavior that the government wants. That's the remit of the nudge unit, the behavioral insights team. How can we use our messaging? How can we phrase our messaging, frame it to get the best response from the public? These guys were relied heavily on early in the pandemic for the media messaging. There was one uh, TV advert and it was a close-up of someone's face, like someone's grey, knackered face, someone's greyed out with like a nose cannula here. And it just said, look them in the eyes and tell them you wore a mask. Look them in the eyes and tell them that you were socially distant. And these were on bus stops, on TV, all the, on the radio. And it was, it, it was shocking how, how the media was weaponized during that two years. And the UK government be, became the biggest buyer of advertisement, media advertisement in, in our economy, in the UK economy. So all these newspapers and websites, journalists, they were reliant on government money. <laughs> Fucking, it's so twisted. They were relying on government money to pay for their journalists, to pay the costs. And that's why we had no dissent. That's why we had this monoculture, this mono messaging of what you needed to do and what was going on. No, no one would cover any of the alternative stories that were going on, apart from us. And, you know, independents who were, who were willing to do it because we're not reliant on on sponsorship or anything. We're value for value like Grand America. We just rely on donations from the, the glorious general public. So, yeah, that was that was pretty shocking. But on the whole, things are pretty much back to normal. But they've done it all before and they can do it again. All they need to do is dream up another scariant, another variant, and we'll, we'll be back to square one. Unless... People say, I've had enough, enough. I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. But fear is such a powerful motivator, isn't it? Well. Yeah. And I wonder, behavioral insight team, it almost feels like another one of those acronym plays because, you, you know, bits, right? You have all these bits <laughs> of, of data, you know, and everybody is kind of like now a, a piece of this techno frame you know, I see around the town I live, these fiber optic cables being put on the telephone wires. You know, this truck, it just says fiber optics. I don't know what they're actually doing, but I assume it's 5G. From my point of view, I'm like, that's 5G. It looks weird. The cops are near them. Who knows what they're doing? But what are your thoughts on that? Because I know that was a big thing for me going into this. I'm like, this is just warming us up for 5G and the 5G is really going to kill us all. And they're going to blame it on, they're going to blame it on this virus. And it's really the 5G. Is that at all crossed your mind i feel like that was part of it really early on and then you didn't hear anybody talk about 5g since but what you have seen are a lot of companies innovating 5g technologies yeah well what happened early on is that anyone who mentioned 5g in a disparaging way was taken off weren't they they were censored i think that's why you know you wouldn't hear that through through normal channels and, you know, I didn't really, I'm, I'm not buying it, to be honest. I don't, I'm not into the 5G thing. Hmm. Um, and I'm not an expert and I've not done a right lot of research on it, but 
it doesn't I I don't know. It just doesn't something about it doesn't sit with me. I don't think that's I'm more worried about the technocratic takeover and, and our loss of freedoms in that regard and right. that sort of angle of what's happened in the in the last two years. That's what worries me is that our my kids are not gonna have the same freedoms that I did when I was growing up because of the the sort of direction of travel that we've embarked upon. Our, our governments have done something that they've never done before. They've crossed a Rubicon. And our our political system is based on on sort of precedence, really. And and once a precedent has been set, it can be it can be re-implemented. The, the sort of that barrier has been broken. And that's that's what scares me is whether it's another virus or it's climate lockdowns. I think they could be in our future pretty soon. Climate lockdowns. Right. I mean, you know, we're talking about a disease over the last two years with a, the average um, age of COVID death in the UK is 82.5, which is higher than life expectancy. Right. So if we're going to shut down the country for a disease that kills people 82.5, I'm pretty sure they can convince us to shut down the country or climate change, which will kill, you know, which they say will kill billions of people and render billions of people homeless and cause mass starvation, famine, and all the other doomsday predictions that they've been making for the last 30 years that have never come true. Well, and you know what is weird about that is there is a little bit of truth to that, and that's exactly how they play it, because I'll tell you what, and I'm not in favor of this climate change hoax whatsoever. I'm sure the listeners of the show are well aware of that. But at the beginning, when people were really locked down and afraid of going out, I mean, I noticed it on the roads, there are less drivers. And when spring came that year, there was five times, easily five times as many birds, critters, you know, squirrels running around than the year previous. Now it's sort of middled out a little bit, but I did notice there was a sort of shift. So I wonder, you know, if people realize how much of an impact we have on our environment, but in that same flip side, how powerful nature is to sort of jump back as soon as we give it that little inch. You know, I think we underestimate the power of our own earth so much. And that's what this climate change really rests on because people have been taught that we live on this fragile dying planet. And the truth is, this thing can wipe us out like that. And the next thing you know, you know, there'll be some other species, maybe of marsupial humanoids who evolve and they all have pouches on their belly. And, you know, they're walking around that nobody has ever heard of a backpack because they just carry things in their little pouch, you know, some world without, you know, backpacks a million years from now. It's to me, you know, I think that we're living on so many false paradigms that that's the only reason why they need to keep this censorship up. You know, the average person's like, well, I don't have anything to hide. It's like, yeah, but you wouldn't let somebody come through your house and look through all your stuff. Right. So all of this surveillance that you're talking about with, you know, lack of freedom, I see it as a 27 year old man, you know, just the difference between my teenage years and my cousin's children's teenage years, you know, and what they're doing right now as teenagers compared to what I was doing 
as a teenager, you know, me, I was out in the woods climbing trees, thinking I was a freaking monkey, you know, and they're, they're watching YouTubers in a mansion throw, you know, <laughs> throw water at their, at their maid or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's bonkers what that's, you know, become. But I, I think, you know, not to get too carried away on that point, I think there is some truth to the fact that, like, as much as we have been taught that our Earth is this weak thing, it's really not. It's it's 10 times more powerful than, than we're ever led to believe. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what we need to do, Mark? We all need to move into, like, urban city population centers you know, where everything's like five minutes within five minutes walk and then just leave the rest, just put the rest of it off limits. You know, just these like protected, rewild. We need to rewild the areas around us and we can just be happy in our little cubes in the apartment blocks with our telly screens. See, now I would... We can let, let the world take it, take back. Let, let, let Gaia take back the world from us because we've been so, we've such a shit job of looking after it i know how i know i know what i'm about to say might sound crazy but i would love that because i would be one of those i would be one of those people who gets through the fence and and rewilds myself you know that's what i would do <laughs> I'm sure a lot of off the gridders are with me on that. They're like, oh, won't these people just stop coming out to the national park and stay in new york city you know yeah, the amount of times over the last couple of years, I've I've just had this urge. I'd just have a cabin in the woods, just Ted Kaczynski it, and just get away, just escape from this fucking madness because it's been mad. It's been fucking nuts what's happened over the last two years. And yeah, there's a, a, definitely a, an appeal to sort of go back to nature and and, and leave Schwab and his minions. Leave, let's forget mm -hmm. about him. Let him get on with it. Just leave. Just leave me the fuck alone. That's all I want. Just leave me alone to live my life how I want and stop intruding on, on us. Yeah, it's so uh, there is something appealing about going back to, you know, getting a patch of land somewhere and trying to be self-sufficient and, and do your own, you know, farm your own shit and build your own house and hook up your own, you know, solar panels or whatever for power and you find water supply and all that sort of stuff. It's just, uh, I mean, it's probably a lot easier for you where you are because there's so much more space we don't have much space over here we're a tiny island we're probably smaller than florida i guess the uk as far as the land mass goes and the <laughs> queen holds half of it <laughs> yeah i bet you're about the size of new england that's that's where i'm at it's probably about the same size but yeah new england is that near boston boston's in new england yeah New England oh, right. is like a collection of states. It's like five uh, or six states grouped into one. Everything east of New York is considered New England. Of course it is. That's why it's called New England. <laughs> but it's where the early colonies were, Massachusetts. Right. right. Virginia, Massachusetts. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense now. That's why it's called New England. I figured that you've helped me figure it out. <laughs> Yeah, pretty, pretty cold. Pretty cold up there, then, is it? Oh yeah, we have pretty similar weather to you guys. It's pretty similar. We're we're maybe a little more like France than England because you guys get like Maine weather. Maine is like you guys. Now that I really think about it, you know, Maine. I don't know if you know what Maine's like, but it's pretty cool. 
No. Long yeah, it's story. pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool, literally cool. <laughs> yeah, we can we can go weeks without seeing the sun, the glowing orb in the sky, and it's like fucking hell, it's come out. Praise Jabalon and all the Elohim. Where's Ra? Ra has returned. The fucking sun, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Speaking of that, there's a lot of places to do those sorts of ceremonies where you're at. You go out much and find any stone circles? I mean, from what I've read in some of my books here, there's a lot more than just the ones that are kind of marked by, like, uh, you know, the tourist attraction-y ones. There's, there's dozens of them out there. You can't go down the street without tripping over a megalith over here. <laughs> Fucking everywhere, man. Yeah. Stone circles. I, I was talking about this. We had we had this uh, woman, Laura. She's called the Megalith Hunter on YouTube, and we had her on last week, I think it was. And she was talking to us about Malta and the Megaliths in Malta. And I was telling her about there was a website that I can't remember the name of, and it had a map of the UK, and it had everything marked, every stone circle, every obelisk, every dolmen, everything that had been recorded was on this website. And it was just full. It was like, there's shit everywhere. Stone circles. I mean, everyone knows Stonehenge. But like when I go on holiday, because I tend to go on holiday in this country, because I'm not really, I don't, I don't really like going abroad. I don't like the sun, like when it's too hot. I just want to be in shade and chill out and read a book. So I usually go on holiday over here. And wherever we're going, like a couple of years ago, we went to Scarborough, which is on the east coast. So it's in the north where we are, but it's on the east east coast. And I just went on this website and said, "Oh, what's what's around here?" And there's this thing called a Rudstone Monolith, which is about 20 miles from Scarborough. I thought, fuck it, we'll have a, we'll have a, we'll have a trip there. Lads might like it. And uh, I'm driving around trying to find this, this little village. It's like a little hamlet with three, three, three men and a dog live there. And there's this churchyard on this uh, sort of hilltop. And you go into this churchyard and there's like a 30 foot monolith in the graveyard, standing, standing stone. And uh, further on in, on the other side of the graveyard, it's like a Roman casket. And they're just there. You can go touch them, do whatever, you know, take photos. It's grand. There's stuff, stuff everywhere in this country. I think I think there's more in your country than people let on. Mm. I think a lot of, I think there's more because of the, the situation with Native Americans. I think there's been a lot of suppression of history in the U.S., would you not say, with your sacred sites? Well, and and that's where I kind of wanted to take this because I think there's some sort of uh, crossover or maybe even some ancient, we'll say, trading going on, cross, you know, pollination of culture where they were possibly trading with people from your way who, you know, transferred these sort of practices over here because we do have a lot of, really interesting stones that have been like you said not even really appreciated for what they are i mean a lot of them are in forests that are sort of either protected and sort of no trespassing you know whether it's because the army has a base there or some government facility is built there. They just conveniently always find the sacred sites. You know, just the Harmin likes <laughs> sacred sites. Maybe they have their own secret religion. Who knows? But but yeah, that that's tends to be the case. But then there are also the sort of what I think is true for what you have going on over there in England, where these things are sort of mundane relics. Like they're not really given as much 
attention or appreciation from the average person as maybe they should because it's just not taught in our history. So we tend to overlook these things, you know. One example of that is this place near Rhode Island on the eastern side of where I live in Connecticut, Gungiwamp. It's like a sort of a, a almost what you would see. I think they're called like dolmens. Or, I don't, I'm not sure. What are the, the houses that have like the round and they're in the ground? You know, they sort of like dig them into the ground and they have like these little, like a hobbit home. I hate to use that reference because I don't think it's, that's not the original, you know, they were modeling it after something they saw in England, but it's something similar to that. Like people will make them for root cellars. They'll sort of take this big rock and dig underneath it and build a wall around it. And that'll be like an underground chamber. Well, they have several of these and they're all placed in such a way that when it's an equinox, the sun will rise and shine a light, you know, just right through the perfect angle through this little hole that's is really not even like it's not like da vinci like you're not in the sistine chapel they're just like rough stones cobbled next to each other but they're aligned perfectly for that moment which to me suggests that yeah everything we're taught about the native americans is is wrong because they're either aware of what was going on with the culture in England in those times, you know, in connection with it somehow, or came to these sort of practices in their own way. But either way, it's an advanced technique, you know, of, of building stone and lining it up and astronomical knowledge that suggests that they're just, they're not hunter gatherers, you know. Speaking of that, though, have you ever heard of the Glastonbury Zodiac? Not the Zodiac, no, what's that? So I found this book at a used bookstore the other day. Let me grab it. It's, uh, it's all about these sort of stone, they're not stone, I'm sorry, not stone, but uh, like mounds almost with roads. The way the roads go through this hilly area, this woman has shown that they're, reflecting the constellations like you could see the particular zodiac symbols in the hills of glastonbury wow that's cool no i've not heard about that no i've, I've read a couple of books on glastonbury but they, they tend to be more about glastonbury abbey or the the tell the tour glastonbury tour but all oh, right there's a map there yeah, it might not come out the best way, but I, what I'll do is I'll take a good image of this and send it to you. I'll take a good picture and send it to you so you can you can look yeah, at yourself. But I don't know how close that is to where you live, but uh, but it's it's definitely one of these things that you see here in the in North America where whatever these mounds are, they're aligned with certain things features in the sky. Yeah, you'll have to send me the name of that author so I can look it up. Maybe I can grab one off eBay. Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah the, the, the sort of hidden history stuff is fascinating. Going back to what you were saying about North America, we had uh, Adam Stokes on the show like uh, probably about a year ago, maybe a bit longer. And he wrote a book called um, From Egypt to Ohio, I think it was. And his, his sort of thesis was that the, the Jews after the sack of after the Babylonians came in and destroyed the first temple that they went to Ohio and they built mounds 
in <laughs> in North America. And I just I just love this. I think ancient seafaring we're definitely missing a trick. We we we're not getting the the full picture. I'm pretty sure they found Roman boats off the coast of North America. You know, I'm not sure if Egyptians or not. What comes to mind when you say that, you know, Jewish culture comes from the Middle East. My girlfriend told me a story. I don't remember exactly what culture, but I'm almost certain they were Muslim. I think maybe an Egyptian friend of hers. She attended like a funeral of one of their family members. She was invited. She was a friend. And I guess what they do is they bury their dead under a big mound of sand or dirt. Right. And I mean, that would sort of <laughs> concur with what we're finding out there where, you know, people find these mounds and they're like, oh, what's inside? And they start digging inside and there's all these, you know, bones and, and such. But wow. Yeah, that yeah. is, that is interesting. I remember seeing on the history channel a while back, there was like a, an interview with this guy who was very, very pale skin and had like, what we'll say maybe Jewish features kind of looked like me with my big nose here and and he claimed to be a native american and that was like what they were talking about in the history channel was you know sort of the weird appalachia and there's this tribe of white-skinned native americans who say that they're ancient jews you know but it's it's never <laughs> it's never considered like i'm sure that was on history channel one time and you know never played again but you know <laughs> it's one of those things that yeah definitely has a lot of a lot of credit to it i'm reading this book at the moment about ancient egypt and the, the thesis of this book do you know have you heard of akhenaten yeah yeah so he was like a heretic pharaoh and he um, was like an alien right well, hopefully, <laughs> you know, a huge deformed head is what they say. <laughs> the elongated skull. Right. But like when he came to power, like the, the big religious centers were Thebes. And Thebes was the god, the god of Thebes. It was Amun. And then there was Heliopolis, Heliopolis in the Delta region, which was like the, the cult center for Ra, Ra Hokte. And uh, where else was there? Petar, the god Petar, he had a religious center in Memphis, I think. But these like priestly class were becoming really powerful and they were taking on different governmental roles as well and became, became pharaoh. And he basically shunned them all and he set up his own religious center in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the desert called, uh, and he named it Akintatan. But it's, it's better known for, from its Islamic name, Armana. And it's where we get the Armana letters from, which are these like diplomatic correspondence from the late Bronze Age. But anyway, the theory of this book is, is that his daughter, who was called Scotta, when, when Akhenaten died, these, these priest class, and particularly this general called Horemheb, wanted to take that power and kick him out. And, and so his daughter fled to Scotland and started civilization in Scotland because they found some boats, some Egyptian boats in a place called, I think it's called Ferrisby in North Yorkshire. And these, these boats were like found and just put away and not like no one really bothered to look into it. Well, they can't be Egyptian because the Egyptians couldn't, couldn't, weren't seafarers. This was back in like the sixties, whatever. And they were just sort of, sort of boxed away and forgotten about and no one ever looked into it for decades later. And then, People started doing like carbon te carbon dating and stuff. It's like, wow, these these boats are 
fucking 3,000 year old and they, they look like Egyptian to me. This is how they, they look like the bolts we found next to the Great Pyramid. And it's like, wow, these guys were like circumnavigating the globe as far as I'm concerned. It wasn't, you know, I, the, the mainstream archaeology and, and history, I think it's just missing so much about our, our shared heritage. And uh, we need to take it back because it's ours, you know, and get to the truth of the matter. That's all. That's what I'm interested in. Right. Right. And, and, you know, you see this symmetry throughout the world where it seems like this serpent culture, or at least that's how some people put it, like, you know, the brotherhood of the, of the serpent knowledge or the serpent wisdom, you know, these, these people who go around and, and build these megaliths, you know, I've heard, uh, I think it's, his name is Mark Pinkham who writes about this. And, uh, and he makes a connection to England, the Druids, and exactly what you're saying, Egypt, India. I've heard other people talk about a connection between India and Ireland, but never the Egyptian Scottish connection. That's interesting. I'm only, I'm only halfway through. I'll do you a book review. When I finish it, I'll do you a book review and tell you whether I think it's worth reading. But okay, I just, it just fascinates me. I love this shit. I can't get enough of it. Agreed. Agreed. I, there's another guy who wrote uh, a really interesting book, I think like 200 years ago, a hundred years ago now, maybe the 1800s. Donnelly, you ever seen Donnelly's book? The Ignatius. Ignatius. Ignatius Donnelly. Yes. He's a very interesting guy who talks about this similar connection between Egypt and, and where you're at, you're particularly the neck of the woods. Yeah, there's just so many. I've got I've got piles and piles of books here that I've not read yet. And uh, Velikovsky would be one author. I've got like, I think I've got three books now from Dr. V that I've not read yet. Uh, Dr. Velikovsky, he who shall not be named. Because, you know, they, they get pilloried. They come out with these theories and they just get pilloried. It was the same with Graham Hancock. You know, they, they call him a pseudoscientist. And, well, it's heretic. It's basically, you're a heretic. You have no business, you know, hypothesizing about this stuff. And the, the sort of mainstream system has so much to lose, you see. You know, these academics, they're, they're, they write the textbooks and, and they've been teaching this material all their lives. Their whole life's, life's work is based on this set of set of explanations for where we come from. And when someone comes out, particularly who's not sort of classically trained as an archaeologist or a historian like Graham, because he was, he calls himself a writer. I'm a writer. He started off as a journalist, actually. But so when someone from the outside comes in and, and tries to rewrite massive chunks of our history, it's like the backlash is brutal, isn't it? You've got to be prepared for that if you're going to put your, your neck out there. And that's why they deserve praise and credit for, for doing it and sticking the neck out. And it's like, it doesn't get everything right. And, and he admits it himself, you know, it's, it, it's sometimes you swing and, and you miss, but a lot, of, I, a lot of what he says really resonates with me. And I just love his books and been a huge fan for oh, well over 10 years, 15 years, probably now. He's probably my dream guest, I would say, if I could pick one person in the world. Have you have you got a good well, have you have did you have your dream guest on a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Ike? Or, or have you got someone else in in your sights, Mark? 
I've got some more people in my sights. I always, you know, you always got to keep striving for better. But yeah, David Ike, that was definitely, I'll say it was unplanned. I didn't, I didn't plan on having him on that early, but the opportunity came about and I seized it. I was like, you know what? Better, better now than, than later, right? That sort of approach. I was really stoked about talking to Michael Hoffman. His book is incredible. Really enjoyed his book and if you're not familiar, a secret societies and psychological warfare, definitely recommend reading it. Can you tell I'm not used to my studio yet? I'm like knocking everything over and bumping things around. But dream guests, you know, honestly, I I, I feel like I'm sort of like I, I, a little lucky, you know, uh, kind of like uh, maybe too lucky because my dream guests. Sam Tripoli, he had me on his show. You know, that was the first couple podcasts I've ever done was talking to him on his Patreon and then eventually going on Tinfoil Hat after I started working for him. But yeah, that was that was a lot, you know, definitely nerve wracking the first couple times. But uh, but it shows when I talk to him on Tinfoil Hat because I had already had a couple five or six on the air conversations with him. So I kind of had like... I knew how to talk to him about this stuff because if you listen to Tinfall Hat, sometimes Sam could take the conversation in different directions. And I was like, I'm going to get through this, 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 and this. And to this day, people still hit me up and say they like that episode. So I'm, I'm proud of myself. I think that was probably uh, my biggest podcast accomplishment yet being on Tinfoil Hat. And that was really before this show was anything. So kind of blew my load really soon there but uh, but that's right. you, 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 should, you should be proud it was a great episode you, it was the Alistair Crowley one wasn't it indeed yeah. yeah I really enjoyed that thank you yeah so that was that was a big one I mean as far as guests go I've had like I said uh really privilege and it's sort of a privilege to to be able to have the amount of guests that I've had on but it comes from, you know, obviously working with Tripoli and, and booking for his show and all the connections that come from that. So I've had just a ton of guests that I'm like, wow, okay, this is cool. Because a lot of times, and I'm sure you're familiar with this, when you get the email back, you're like, oh, wow, you know, because you send the email and you're like, all right, let's, you know, we'll see. And some people get back to you like right away. And you're, you know, Michael Hoffman was one of them. I was really surprised. And he got back to me and said, Yes, but you have to read my book because I don't do any interviews with people who don't read my book. So I'm like, okay, I'm almost finished with it. You know, have you had any guests that are, you know, giving you like a uh, homework before the episode? I don't think so. I'm racking my brains now. I tend to do it anyway. Right. I mean, we, we tend to book pretty long and not long. Maybe usually six weeks in advance, something like that. Okay. We usually have about six weeks ahead booked with guests. So that usually gives me time to do whatever research I can. And generally, we're, we're asking people who we're already familiar with anyway, because, and that's why we're asking them, because we like what they do, you know? Right. So, so yeah, I, I try and do research as best as I can. You know, sometimes I, I like the way uh, we're talking about America, the way Gra- uh, Graham and Darren do it, whereas, whereas generally Darren does zero research because it gives you a, a, like a different perspective. And he will ask different questions because he's coming into it fresher than, than if Graham's already read the guy's book. 
So there's something to be said for that as well. But, you know, we're just muddling through best we can. I think so you're doing a, a great job at it. I had a great time as a guest back when I was on the show. I think there's there's a sort of approach that every podcaster they take and they they you know reformat it you know and for me i try to be darren and graham you know some episodes i'm graham some episodes i'm darren you know and it, it, i feel like i'm still sort of getting my getting you know getting comfortable interviewing people but it's a lot easier when we're talking to fellow podcasters i feel like the pressure's kind of off when it comes to a guest with with, with a book you know you want to do their book justice you want to help them sell their book and uh, michael hoffman i was already reading his book but he he was very adamant that i read the whole thing which uh i tried my best i i got to like almost the last chapter don't tell him that i said that <laughs> too late the interview's already done <laughs> It's, it's weird with the, the different people you meet and the different guests you have where some some of ours like they, they, they sound like proper interviews so like it's like question and answer question and answer whereas i prefer the more conversational sort of stuff with the guests but some people just aren't wired that way and and the conversation doesn't sort of flow the same way it's it's, it's one of them but everyone's got their own vibe haven't they when they're especially someone you don't know someone you've never met before mm. so i guess you just try and put people at ease as best as, as best as you can and try and bring out some of their personality and and their thesis you know if they're an author or a content creator we've been doing more with sort of youtubers and stuff recently which has been cool we're trying to do like one alternative history one or ancient history one a month try and get one a month in and then, you know, maybe one occult or esoteric subjects a month. But there's just so much to go at. It's, um, you just don't know where to start sometimes. I've got a list of people I want to get on the show. It's like fucking as long as my arm. And uh, you just got to throw, throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And some people say yes, some people say no. I think we've got a pre pretty good hit rate. I think we we do we do all right. I'm quite surprised. I'm surprised anyone agrees, to be honest. But yeah, we don't get many knockbacks. I don't yeah. think. Right on. Yeah, I get a lot of. I get for the most part. The only time I get any flack is is when I talk about flat Earth. I think that that, <laughs> that topic definitely. You can't. You know. You. you you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. And you can't be agnostic about it. You, know, you just can't please everybody. But where do you stand on that one? <laughs> we, we we had uh, the King of the Flat Earthers on, David Vice. Oh, yeah? I almost We almost uh, linked up with him yesterday. He lives proximal to where we were yesterday, and Alex is, is buddies with him. But me, I, I try to stay agnostic, you know. I, I think I'm going to guess that you're sort of in the same lane i don't know but it's just like it's one of those things where i feel like as soon as i go one way or another i'm just gonna piss people off so i'd rather just say hey how could i ever know you know it's it's really polarizing right. that subject right because it's, it's like it's blue team and red team it's mm. democrats republicans it's labor and conservative are you a pc or are you a mac it's it's this duality that uh, pervades our culture 
and it's magnified in the flat earth. You know, once you nail your colours to the mask in, mask in one camp or the other, you instantly become a target for the other side, don't you? And we, we had David on and I thought it was brilliant. I loved it. And we had a great time. We had a good laugh. We weren't, we weren't laughing at him. We were laughing at the the absurdity of different things. Like he, he showed the he showed us the video of uh, is it inside the space station where someone picks up a bottle and his hand goes through the bottle or something. And, and yeah, it's it's silly. And uh, I loved it. I think he's a great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. I thought it was very very personable. You know, I, I wore a NASA t shirt just to piss him off, and that seemed to get a reaction. But yeah, I'm the same as you. I'm I'm sort of agnostic. You know, if I if I had to swing one way or another, I'm probably a baller. Right. I'm probably balling out. But I don't know anything. That's my opinion. I know fuck all about anything. I know a little bit about this and a little bit about that. I'm not an expert on anything. That's why so, I like ley lines because they work on both planes, you know, or, or both models, yeah. you know. But another subject that I, is really you know, and I kind of categorize flat earth as sort of like a, a post conspiracy conspiracy theory. Cause like the conspiracy theory culture was really born pre-internet, you know, and it seems like flat earth was really more of a, like a, well, they say it was a NASA psyop making that flat earth society thing, I right? So I, I don't know if I could pin the flat earth movement on when that was founded, but I would guess it was around the 90s that people started talking about that more. Obviously, people two, three hundred years ago thought that just naturally, but, you know, something that's really emerged is the topic of tartaria and i don't know how popular this is in england but here in the states people are like you know they'll put all these videos together like this building is you know ancient and this building's ancient it's it's very speculative i find it fascinating but as somebody who prefers to look for like primary sources and 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 someone who's putting well thought out research and showing their evidence you know i find that a lot of it doesn't hold up to snuff and it's becoming a polarizing thing where anytime i say i don't have some doubts about tartaria people are like how could you doubt tartaria look at this picture look at this star fort and i'm like listen i love talking about it and i'll tell you you know where the star forts are i think that's fascinating but whether or not you know this ancient empire built them I don't, you know, I don't go that far. I think there's more truth to the argument that the Native Americans were more advanced than we're told, and they were doing that stuff. Whether they called themselves Tartarians or not, I, I mean, I think we would have some evidence amongst them to prove that. Yeah, it's another one of these polarizing issues, and uh, people people get so invested, you see. Right. Uh, in the, in the, you know, they put a lot of work into the research, and they, they, they find something that, that, ignites the curiosity and they I was gonna say they convince themselves that's probably being unfair but it's it's a it's a natural part of our psyche that when we when we find something interesting we believe it we want to shout it from the roof, rooftops and we invest a lot of our psychology in it and so you know it's like wake up sheeple it's the famous thing isn't it you know because I think that's just a byproduct of, of how we operate and our and our psychology. And the same thing sort of happened. Oh, I don't want to talk about QAnon, but you, it's sort of same thing happened with that, I would say. Was that the other, the other, 
was that a big thing where you're at? I mean, because no, not a lot of English people went with that. Not as far as I know. No, it went pretty much under the radar in the UK. And the other sort of subject area that I find is div- particularly divisive in our community is Freemasonry. Mm, right. Like we, we've had a couple of, like we had a free, Freemasonic historian on a few weeks ago, had a couple of uh, Freemasons on. And that's when you get shit in the comments and on Twitter and stuff. And it's like, I'm, I'm the same with Freemasonry. I, I'm agnostic. My uh, co-host, Ben, he says it's, it's Boy Scouts for grown-ups. That's all it is. Right. And I sort of, well, yeah, I'm sort of, I, I know what you're saying. I think there's more layers to it than that. Right. Oh, no. Well, that's another sort of toxic subject that seems to uh, ignite people, ignite people's wrath against <laughs> you. And you talk about Freemasonry. I just think, I just find it interesting because it's so, it's so pervasive in our history, Freemasonry. Absolutely. I actually had, uh, I had to reschedule this conversation, but I still will be having it with Robert Sullivan. He's been on the America show several times. He writes a lot of books about the symbolism in movies, but he's a Freemason, I think 32nd degree. And he wrote this book called The Royal Ark of Enoch that I've been reading recently. And it's a fantastic book. It shows you the Freemasonic history. And obviously you got to take it with a grain of salt because you're reading this written by someone who's a part of the group he's writing about. But to your point, I think that's absolutely fascinating and I want to have him on whether he's uh, biased or not. As a listener of the show, I give you enough credit to be able to discern that for yourself. And if I didn't talk to him, you wouldn't have that opportunity, you know, and I think that's really what is more important is to invite people to the conversation instead of saying like, oh, we can't talk to anybody who's this group or we can't talk to anybody who's this race or we can't talk to anybody who's, you know, from the planet Xenon, you know, it's like, it just becomes this un unending, you know, stigma. It's part of the game, isn't it? To divide and conquer, I think. Right. You know, how much of it's controlled opposition? I don't know. But, yeah, that's that's the one subject area I seem to catch shit from. It's, it's Freemasonry. And that was one of the first books that got me into sort of esoterica. I remember reading a book called The Hiram Key mm. by um, Robert Lomas and Christopher Knight. And that came out in the mid-90s, I think. And that was charting the, the sort of history of Freemasonry. And I just found it utterly fascinating because, you know, it's not stuff, you know, it's I don't know if it's true or not. It's a theory. It seemed like a well-researched book. Again, I don't know anything. But I found it interesting. But you can't deny the the influence that Freemasonry has had over our culture. Like I was telling you yesterday's, uh, when we were talking, was it on Telegram, you were saying if I'd been looking at anything in particular, and I said I'd be looking at the Royal Society mm. or the Invisible College. And again, it's, it's that formation of that society is dripping in Freemasonry. That They, they seem to be hugely influ- influential in that society. And, and the ramifications of that are global. Absolutely. I mean, to bring it back to New England, the first governor of the Connecticut colony was a member of the Royal Society. His name was John Winthrop the Younger. Uh, he's the son of the, one of the colonists in Massachusetts, one of those governors. But John Winthrop is interesting because he was an alchemist, a practicing alchemist and uh, a member of the Royal Society. And that was 
sort of in the early days of the Royal Society, but you saw that sort of blending uh, in him of spirituality and science, you know, before science was really what we think of it today. Say with uh, Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was the president of the Royal Society in, what was it, probably the 1720s, something like that. And, and he was well known for being interested in occult subjects and alchemy, as well as, you know, his Principia Mathematica, whatever it was. Like his famous book that he did that no one's ever read. <laughs> well, I haven't read it. Right. So, yeah, it, and yeah, the, the Royal Society's tenants seem to have been founded on Freemasonry. Like one of the key sort of things in Freemasonry, apparently, because I'm, by the way, I'm not Freemason. I've never been in the lodge, everyone who's listening. But apparently, you're not supposed to talk about religion or politics. And the Royal Society adopted that philosophy. And it was incredibly important at the time because of the historical context in which the society was formed. In 1660, the period of the Reformation, England had just come through, what, 12 years of a bloody civil war with Cromwell. And when you look at the founding 12 members, it's interesting because they're pretty much split evenly between royalists and parliamentarians, people who supported the king and people who supported Oliver Cromwell and the new model army. You think, well, I mean, the the monarchy was restored earlier that year. We went back to the... Charles II came back from France and took over the monarchy. And then we have this society forming with a mixture of, of people who were, you know, very shortly before fighting on opposite ends of a civil war. I mean, the guy who chaired, chaired the first meeting of the society, John Wilkins, I think it was, he was Oliver Cromwell's brother-in-law. He married Cromwell's sister. In fact, Oliver Cromwell had to change the law so that John Wilkins could marry his sister. So you have him, you have him getting together in these, in these secret, not secret, well, they were secret meetings, I guess. It was invite only. Getting together with people who were, what would you say, from the aristocracy, people who were earls and, and dukes and whatnot. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all that these people were meeting in, in these clandestine, well, uh, well, it wasn't called the Royal Society at that point because it didn't get its charter until a couple of years later, but. That's why that's where the term invisible college comes from, because uh, I think it was Robert Boyle, the physicist, who was someone found a letter that he'd wrote to one of the other members. And he talks about our invisible college because it wasn't the Royal Society. Then it hadn't received its charter. But it's just strange that these these guys would get together at that time. And the main purpose of it was for naval power. So in the preceding years, the English had been badgered by the Dutch. The Dutch Navy was, was powerful. They had colonies in North America. It even sailed up the Thames and bombarded London at some point. And it seems that part of the, part of the reason for forming the society was solving the problem of longitude, designing better ships, faster ships, more maneuverable ships, navigation, improving navigational instruments, weaponry. How can we improve gunpowder, cannons? This this seems to have been the gel, that like the main, and it was the selling point that the, the guy who sort of kicked it all off, this guy called Robert Murray, that was his selling point to the king, to King Charles to get this royal charter. Oh, I've got all these guys together, got these scientists and these nobles. We're going we're gonna to help rebuild the, the Navy because the Navy had been decimated during the Civil War. 
you know, if you're if Oliver Cromwell, if you're fighting a bloody civil war, you're not going to be bothered about increasing your navy. You know, you, you're having land battles all the time, and it and it just goes to show, like, if you if you imagine, this is like 1660. There's no Great Britain. There's no British Empire. There's no Great Britain. Great Britain doesn't exist till 1707 with the Acts of Parliament. So there's no British Empire. But this this group come together and start improving this technology, scientific inquiry, helping the Navy. And if they hadn't, you know, instead of watching the New York Yankees, you might be watching the new Amsterdam Yankees. And we could be having this conversation in Dutch or French because you might not have got a British Empire at the end of the day. Right. It's mad. It's mad how that you can play these games of like historical what ifs. What if this didn't happen? Right. What if this what if this guy didn't make that decision at that time? What could the ramifications be? It's just interesting to think about, I think. Uh, but like, um, the guy, undoubtedly, yeah. Go ahead. The guy who wrote the uh, the Hiram Key, Robert Lomas, he, he wrote a book about this subject. And I was watching um, a presentation he did the other week. And Robert Lomas calls the day that the of the first meeting of the Royal Society the day that magic died and science was born, which is pretty creepy. No, because it led to, it led to the Enlightenment as well. Like I said, Isaac Newton he became president of the Royal Society, right? And you know, you extrapolate all that out from the Enlightenment, and that's how we've landed in this reductionist, materialist society we live in now, from the Enlightenment, and and that's where it all generates from. It's from the Royal Society, right? Right, and you, you talk about oh. the English Empire, and it's funny that you concluded that with the point about magic because what i had ready locked and loaded to hit you with was john d historically was the first person to ever utter the words you know the british empire and that was if i'm not mistaken in the 16th century way back then with queen victoria and he was oh queen elizabeth and he was using you know this sort of Enochian magic, which was said to be connected to angels. And just like you said, you know, we have this English, English angel language that spreads across the globe. I mean, it would have been just maybe in the butterfly flap of a wing, you know, one little small thing could have changed that all. But you have to wonder if maybe John D's sorcery is at play with making the whole world speak English. I mean, it's, it's absolutely profound when you put it in those terms. John Dee is one of those characters who I really want to do a deep dive on. I've got, I've got a couple of books. I've got one called Elizabeth Spymaster, which mm. is not, I don't know how deep that is going to go. I think it's going to be a pretty mainstream read. Right. But yeah, well, I mean, the militarize him and make him seem like he was purely a navigator and this mathematician and that sort of thing. But he was very much an occultist, you know, Absolutely, and uh, cryptography he was into as well. Right. And, uh, he's, yeah, he's a bit earlier. He's, I want to say, maybe 50 years earlier than the Royal Society. I think he was a compadre of Francis Bacon, I think. And I, I, that would make sense if it was Elizabeth I. It's important to also put it in this context that all of these things that we would now consider science were occult. I mean, the idea that you could use just pen and paper and, a, you know, pieces, little instruments like that to navigate the world, that was a magical act, you know. Doing these things that now we think of as mundane in that time were revelations from God. You know, they felt like they were inspired by their creation 
creator with these divine ideas, which who knows how true that is. I'm not putting any doubt on that. I think there's a lot of truth to that. You know, we have Einstein and Tesla talking about their thought experiments that they would do when they were calculating all of the things that laid the groundwork for this, you know, modern, hyper fast industrial technology age. But, you know, considering how rudimentary things were for the average person back then, you know, all of those skills that John D had, just one of those in any one person would have made that person a special individual. But to have all of those skills in one person, I wonder if we have sort of like a prophecy situation, almost like what we have with a, a religious spiritual prophet, you know, where there's there's receiving information, you know, instead of being about morality, though, it's about technology. Yeah, it's divine inspiration. I don't know if it was Isaac Asimov or, or Arthur C. Clarke said, said something to the effect of, you know, any technology significantly sophisticated would be, you won't be able to discern it from magic. Right. And that makes complete sense and plays into what you what you say. We've got Robert Frederick coming on in a couple of weeks, who's gone deep into Francis Bacon, and he's a similar sort of character. He was floating around at the same time as John D. Right. Yeah, that's another interesting one because both those guys are posited as the authors of Shakespeare as well, John D. and Robert Frederick. So uh, yeah, I, I've never really got into this period of history until quite recently. But it's just, it's all, a lot of it's politics, political machinations and conspiring and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. I just have this bug for history I can't get rid of. I share that with you. I, I think you meant to say Francis Bacon and John D, but I had never heard that before. That Who did I say? You said Robert Frederick and John D. I'm like, hold on, Robert Frederick is Shakespeare? <laughs> but I hadn't, I hadn't heard that, that John D. might be also a, a, a candidate for that. I had, I've definitely heard the Francis Bacon angle. It's certainly not this uh, Shakespeare character that lived in Stratfordshire, but, you know, they don't they don't want the tourist industry to die there, so they got to keep this on the house. <laughs> Yeah, he was probably almost certainly illiterate. Shakespeare. Right. Shakespeare. His children didn't even know how to read or write. It's like, yeah, the greatest <laughs> playwright never taught his own children how to read or write. It's how how could they carry on his his brilliance? Yeah, and then Francis Bacon comes up and he goes to university and whatever, and then sort of drops off the map for like twenty years or something. Apparently doing nothing. Doing nothing. And then he turns up and ends up being uh, Lord Protector, was he Lord Protector? Lord Chancellor, he ended up being Francis Bacon. Mm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting period of history. Well, All of it. it definitely feels like uh, some sort of mystery school initiation type thing, underground, you know, Hogwarts type situation <laughs> is going on. This missing time that's always, you know, kind of put just conveniently in the lives of these amazing people, but... Yeah, I, I think I think there's really uh, an endless amount of information in that realm of Shakespeare. I mean, so much of what we have left in that body of work is very esoteric. I mean, 
Midsummer Night's Dream. I remember seeing that stoned out of my mind at a, you know, play at the park. I forget what they call them, the actual name for it, but it was at the park and I was just like blown away at, at what they were talking about. You know, I was really a novice at that time. I was probably 10 years ago, but I had enough sort of symbolic recall to be like, there is something going on here. It's not referencing this stuff by accident. Same with Hamlet, Hamlet's Mill. Right. I remember trying, I remember reading, well, I'll say read, trying to read Hamlet's Mill years ago. And it's fucking, it's a nightmare. It's one of the hardest books I've ever read. It just, I was constantly rereading passages and it, still not being able to make any sense of it. But yeah, that's uh, that's another one of Randall Carlson's things. I remember uh, Randall Carlson put up a reading list once on his website and uh, Hamlet's Mill, he always seems to mention Hamlet's Mill when he was on Joe Rogan when I was listening to it at the time. And so I got this book. It's like a fucking doorstop. It's like a monolith. It's massive. <laughs> I fucking started reading it. I thought, fuck, it's going to break my head, this. I can't <laughs> handle it. I can't handle it. It's too hard. Yeah. I persevered and got through it, but fuck me, yeah. Well, I don't know. And Randall is a is a Freemason, so you got to ask yourself if maybe he has some kind of like decoder lens that they give you at the thirty third degree. You know, you <laughs> kind of go around and look at all this stuff and and see the truth behind it, but can't tell anybody. I I definitely think there's some truth to that, and. I think that's kind of what I'm asserting is maybe these guys, Francis Bacon, John D, maybe they're all a part of the same group. And that's what the body of Shakespeare's work was actually authored by this like mystery school that operated through many different people. But a similar group that you mentioned, the Rosicrucians, I've heard people say that, oh, the Rosicrucian thing, that's all live action role play. They're just pretending, you know, they're it's sort of like an ARG and it never existed. It was sort of like a propaganda that was put out. But then I've read other books that talk about, oh, this guy was a Rosicrucian. This guy was a Rosicrucian. I have, you know, books that were printed by the, you know, AMORC, which is a sort of a later group of Rosicrucians in America. But what are your thoughts on that? Have you ever run across that, that theory that the Rosicrucians were sort of like a made up group or, or at least some form of like uh, ARGs, maybe something, an, you know, precursor to what we consider an ARG now? Yeah, I have come across it. And uh, a lot of it stems from Christian Rosenkrauts, doesn't it? And they, they, because he used a, a, a pseudonym, they, they assume he's a fictional character and and I've heard same people say it about the Illuminati and the Illuminati, Bavarian Illuminati never existed. Right. With the vice out. You know, I, I don't know, you know, who do you believe? That's what it comes to. And this is a problem with, this is a thing that I discovered with, with reading is that I remember when I first started reading, I would read every book and take it as gospel. I'd read every book and think that this was the truth. And as you get older and a bit wiser, you realize that you've got to start reading the author. You can't just read the book. You've got to read the author. Who is this guy or gal? What period are they writing? What's the historical context and the political context of what they're writing in? What is their will? How, what's their worldview? What are their influences? What are they trying to put forward with the hypothesis? You know, you can't just read a book and take it as gospel, man. Well, and that's why I love what we do so much because we're able to 
sit down and, and read the author face to face, you know, and actually talk to them and to bring Michael Hoffman back up. I was very nervous because his writing style is pretty, it's, it's in your face. It's blunt. You know, he's very, you know, blunt about the truths that he's sharing with you in this book. So I was nervous. I'm like, Oh, how's this guy going to be? Is he going to be like rude to me? Is he going to be like, cause he demanded that I read his book. You know, I'm like, is he, gonna, you know, is he going to like think I'm a dummy or something? Kindest, sweetest man, very nice guy. <laughs> just a pleasure to have on the show. And, you know, you can't judge a book by a cover. You can't judge an author wholly by their writing. But I think there's absolute truth to what you're saying. You know, you got to read the author. But we definitely have sort of a, a privilege podcasting with being able to, you know, sit down and, and ask these folks, you know, what what they think themselves. Have you ever interviewed somebody that was on like your bookshelf for years before you were a podcaster and you're like, Oh crap, I can't believe I have an opportunity to talk to this person. Yeah. A few. Uh, so one would be Eric Klein. Okay. Who wrote, who wrote the book on the bronze age, basically he's, he's, he's written the most popular book on the collapse of the bronze age called 1177 BC. And so I was, ner that was the first podcast I did that I was nervous for because I didn't want to fuck it up. And he was sort of a literary literary hero of mine. And we also had, we had David Roll on last year. In fact, he's coming back on at Easter. We're doing an Easter special with David. And he's like a, a renegade Egyptologist. He, he says the Greek Dark Age never happened and that there's a fault in the chronology and that sort of 260 year period around 700 BC never happened. And from the Trojan War, the people who fled the Trojan War went on to, you know, found Rome and Greece and all the rest of it, Greek colonies and all this sort of stuff. Wow. So, yeah, oh, it's really, and he's just amazing to talk to because he seems to know everything about everything about ancient history. It's like we, we, we talked about all sorts of stuff, whether it was dynastic Egypt or Mycenae, the Bronze Age, biblical history. I mean, he's written, he's like really successful author he's got a new book out now it's just come out now i believe and we're doing because it's easter we're going to do one on early christianity with him and i just can't wait because i, I just don't know what he's going to come out with about how what's wrong with our perceptions of early christianity mm. and that's like, that's what else i've got into is theology over the last few years it's like i just i can't get enough of trying to figure out what was happening with early judaism early christianity it's just something about that period. I know the two different periods, but something about how, I mean, it's so, it's so critical to our culture and where we are. You know, we, we live in a, our cultures are based on the Judeo-Christian ethic. And, and so it's so formulative, isn't it? So the way we, we, we've lived our lives and the way our societies have developed. So I'm just, I can't get enough of that subject, ancient theology. Have you ever? And then, heard of then we'll have like Dave Matheson on. He'll say, "Well, it's all myths. It's all myths." Yeah, <laughs> you've had Dave on, haven't you? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Dave yeah. was on the show. He was he was actually the first real podcast guest I ever interviewed. The first three episodes, the first two were with buddies, and then uh, the third one was actually with another podcaster named Rick from the Tin Biscuit Podcast out in uh, Ireland. 
and and then I had I had David Matheson on. Yeah, actually, it was it was a really cool conversation. He taught us about you know wax on, wax off, and yeah, yeah. just kind of got you know had a nice philosophical chat. But I'm wondering, have you ever come across Josephus and you know Caesar's Messiah theory and this idea that maybe Jesus was like altered by the Romans to make people more, or not Jesus, but the the Jewish writings or the Christian writings, something was altered to make people more, let's say, propagandized or or easy to to go with Caesar and his rule. Yeah, I mean, oh, we had a chap called Edmund Marijon back in October, and he's since died. He's passed away. It's I found out, I only found out recently, we recorded with him in early October, something like the 11th of October, and he, he, he passed away before the end of the month. Good thing he didn't reschedule, geez. Yeah. Wow. And uh, in peace. His, his work was all early Christianity and uh, Jesus and Thomas. Right. Jesus and Thomas coming to the British Isles after the crucifixion. I don't know how that works. And becoming like, what would you call it? Like a point man for the Roman Empire in civilizing the British Isles and then going to India and, and all over the shop. It was it was fascinating, absolutely fascinating. And like David Rowley, who's another one of these guys who just accumulated so much knowledge, so much information. Yeah. It just blows your mind that you get the chance to sit down and talk to them, that they'll, they'll give up your time for you and, and go through this stuff. Yeah. So Josephus is an interesting character because he was he was Jewish. He was a Jewish writer. I'm trying to remember my history now, and he was involved. It was it was it was during during the Jewish during the Jewish uprising, wasn't it, of 76 mm-hmm. AD, when when Titus sacked Jerusalem. Josephus was involved in that, and did he did he turn quite? Did he turn coat? Yeah, he turned coat and he became Josephus Flavius. And uh, he, he lived with the Caesar, with the, the emperor, and, and became sort of like one of their court historians. Yeah. And then you see, it's like, it goes back to reading the author again, doesn't it? And, you know, the influence that he's, he's having. And I believe he betrayed some of his countrymen. He was, he was fighting. I think he was fighting for the Jews originally. He was maybe, I'd be getting this completely no, wrong. You're, you're right. You're yeah. right. And they were captured and he sold. He was captured with a group of like other Jews, women and children and, and men. And he sold them down the river. I think they died. And that's when he, when he changed sides and, uh, and started working with the Romans. Right. Well, but he tried to spare his own life. Yeah, that was yeah, that was the the thing. I'm I'm racking my brains now because I'm going back into the Mayan Palace from when, when I read this five years ago or something. Yeah, <laughs> but we don't have the problem is is we, we only have so many sources from that period, don't we? Right. You know, whether it's Josephus or or Tacitus or, or wherever, we don't have a lot because again, a lot of it was lost after Constantine. A lot of this history was lost, and and you know. It turned out that it was the monks, wasn't it, in the monasteries who were copying the older Roman texts or the pagan texts, they would have called it. And, you know, they'll have, they'll have copied some stuff and not copied others. And they, they will have been selective and they certainly didn't save everything. It's like uh, Socrates. We don't have any writings of Socrates. We only have what Plato wrote about him. Right. 
That's why we're finding out about all these cryptids and paranormal creatures all over <laughs> again because they took them out. You know. <laughs> oh, Dogman! Dogman in Jerusalem. I, I don't doubt it. I mean, don't you guys have werewolf stories over there in Europe, or is that more of a what, like a Eastern Europe kind of thing? That's a little further east from you that they talk about oh, werewolves. Transylvania, right? Yeah, I don't know what folklore of the British Isles. Uh, fairies is a big thing. Was a big thing in the in the British Isles. There's a lot of fairy talk, and they're they're spooky because they can kidnap. But outside of that, I mean, you know, they'll put a curse on you. But are there any like beasts, you know, like like what we have in America, like Dogman or Bigfoot? Yeah, usually on the high street on a Saturday night. That's what. That's when the beasts come out. <laughs> Usually about two o'clock in the morning. Oh, you go outside. You go outside. Old, old Nels, the Adelphi, or O'Neills. You'll see the beast come out. You don't have to go hunting for him, man. You don't need like to set up tripod cameras. They're fucking there. They just, they just pile out of the pubs, and it's it's beast mode. It's beast time. Cryptid city. I don't doubt that. They're they're in full plain view though, unlike most cryptids. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're interdimensional as well. Mm. I don't know. I don't know of any like you I don't think there's I can't think of any like unique cryptid stuff for the UK unless I, unless I'm completely drawing a blank. It seems like more of a North American thing. You know, like the Lake Michigan Mothman and Dogman and Slenderman and Final Man. There's another man every week, isn't there? Yeah. And I don't, we don't seem to get it over here that I can think of. This is, there's serial a, killer. We get, we get lots of serial killers, you know, like Jack the Ripper and the Yorkshire Ripper and that sort of thing. Well, with every with every cryptid, there's a new a tourist attraction and uh, a new <laughs> a, a podcast covering it. So I. Yeah, a merch. A merch. There's it on it. it. <laughs> Pop it on a lunchbox. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something to it there, but I don't know, man. It's it's also you know this is a wild land. This is wild land. It was not it was not quote unquote civilized before Columbus. So I really I think the Native Americans just did a better job of staying out of these things way. Whereas you know you guys fought all your dragons thousands of years ago and beat the crap out of them and <laughs> burned all the books about them <laughs> yeah and the witches burn them mm, yeah yeah we have witch finder generals and all that caper going on yeah we, i think yeah maybe we've got a better handle on our earth energies mm. and our ley lines and we just know and know whoa i'm not going down there well and oh, that's a good point, considering all of the standing stones and whatnot. And, you know, maybe that's what that is. Maybe it's like holding the grid in place, this interdimensional fabric in place. And over here in America, when the colonists came, they like tore through all the mounds, unleashing all the cryptids. You know, they pulled the lid off, lid off the can. And now you have dog man crawling out and all these uh, moth men yeah. and pig man and everyone else came over on the Mayflower and just unleashed Pandora's box. <laughs> just upset complete balance of nature. Right. And and then that's why that's why that's it. You've nailed it. That's why we can't move for cryptids in North America. I think that's it. I think that's it. Well, Phil, we've come to a lot of a lot of conclusions, but we've also left a lot of things on the table here today. 
And it's yeah. been another fun conversation with you here. You want to remind the folks where they can follow up with you after they finish listening to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast? Just go to the armistinquisition.com or, you know, whatever you're listening, whatever platform you're on, it'll be on there, presumably. Right on. Check it out, you know. I think we I think we've got a lot in common with the subjects we we uh, we cover so if yeah if you're listening if you've got room to in your rotation to try something else give us a go you might like it you might think we're fucking idiots but you probably will think we're fucking idiots but you might like it as well <laughs> I like it I think what you guys are doing is great and after today's conversation I got a lot got a lot more to look into some really great guests I'm particularly interested in Listen to that one with, uh, I think you said her name was Lori, the megalith hunter. That sounds like a great conversation. And then, of course, Ryan Seven. I was listening to some of that before we talked. And very, very curious guy. Very interesting. Like you said, knows a lot. you got to watch. you got to watch them because it's highly reliant on. He, he, he goes, um, when, he, when he was coming on, we had him on like early on in the lockdown. And it was over Zoom then. But when he, when he came and when we, when we started this marathon 12-hour series, he said, I'll send you some slides over of what I've been working on. I said, all right, no problem. 90 slides there were. <laughs> um, so it's very much reliant on the visual stuff. So you're best watching it on BitChute or uh, YouTube while we're still there because he, he lays it out how, how these things uh, mesh together with the symbolism. It's fucking amazing. Right. But yeah, check that out. If you, if you like occult symbolism, you'll you'll love those series Beautiful. Yeah, he's, he's a good lad. Well, Phil, thank you so much. And to everyone listening, thank you so much for being here. Enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for being here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And that was another great conversation with Amish Phil. As I mentioned at the beginning there, Amish Phil had me on his podcast, The Amish Inquisition, uh, about a year ago, give or take a few months. You can find that conversation in my RSS feed if you go far enough back, far enough back, and I'm sure you can find it on the Amish Inquisition RSS feed naturally uh, with a second part to it because as phil mentioned the first part of each episode has a guest interview and the second part has a sort of a topical more comical newsy style segment so sort of similar to this show where we break it up into two parts uh some episodes like this one even have two guests so really awesome stuff Definitely recommend you check out the Amish Inquisition and big thank you to Phil for having me on his show way back when. Big thank you for him to showing up this time to join me on this show. I got to give a big shout out to our latest patrons who signed up recently. Uh, I decided that the spirit animal naming takes a while. And I just don't have time to do it. Maybe I'll continue to do it in future episodes. But I am just going to do a quick thank you for everybody who signed up. Give you a shout out. And if you want to know your spirit animal name, it'll be posted 
on the Patreon. I promise it'll be there by the time this episode comes out. So shout out to James B. Shout out to Ed LMF. Uh, shout out to MFC, um, aka my cams. Uh, shout out to Stone, Stone Antone. Shout out to you, Stone Antone. And then, of course, super big shout out to Lacey M. She is in the Telegram chat, often sharing her thoughts, ideas, and suggestions. And she has always, uh, since she's been there, had really nice things to say about the show. We appreciate that, Lacey. And we appreciate everybody who gives us a rating or review on iTunes or really any other place. Actually, my favorite podcast app, Podcast Addict, now has a way where you can give a thumbs up. So if you're listening on Podcast Addict, don't forget to give this episode a thumbs up and maybe while you're at it go back and hit a thumbs up on some older episodes that you liked in the past you know retroactively uh, i know this is a new feature so pretty cool stuff i don't know what that'll do maybe it'll boost us in the algorithm but we were in the top 30 in the philosophy category um in the united states for the past two weeks so wow Big shout out to everybody. Thank you for helping us break that record. I think our highest position on the chart was number 25. That's incredible. Uh, right now, <clears throat> looks like we're at number 29. No big deal. Obviously, a big bump from the David Icke episode. So, if you're here after listening to the David Icke episode, maybe you'll like Amish Phil. He's also English. Um, but I have a bunch of awesome interviews that I've done. Maybe hear from the Michael Hoffman episode. I mean, that episode was amazing. I'm sure Michael Hoffman has some fans out there who search his name. I certainly do that. Search his name, find some new podcasts to listen to, find some new interviews with an author I like. It's a good thing to do. One of the many benefits of having a podcast app like Podcast Addict at your disposal they have a really great search engine. You could just search a name, boom, found the person, found their interview. Uh, oh, look at that new event schedule. Looks like I'll be having someone on the podcast not too, uh, looks like it's not too far from now. So pretty cool. Won't say who yet. Uh, we have a review, five stars. Glad I found this podcast. I just ran across this podcast about a month ago and have been digging in ever since. The topics have such a variety that I haven't got bored, and the guests are top-notch. I can't wait to see what's coming in the future. By the way, my family probably thinks I'm crazy as well. <laughs> Shout out to you, Quentin. That's awesome. Thank you for that very kind review, and I'm glad you're digging the show. I appreciate it. Uh, we're doing well all over the world, reaching people all across the world. We're doing good in Australia as well. Top uh, 100 in Australia, top 100 in Canada, and then top 100 in Great Britain. That's about it for me here now. Uh, if you want to get in touch, come on Telegram. Join us in the Telegram chat. We are almost at 1,000 people in our Telegram group. What are we at? Oh, no, not even close. We're almost at 500. So if we can get to 1,000, that would be awesome because I know 
there's at least a thousand of you dedicated listeners according to the analytics and if all of you chipped in and shared a dollar with me maybe i would uh, be able to fix my transmission and get on the road as of right now it looks like we might just have to let go of the car and uh and put some money into a new one i don't know either way i could use your support um financially with a one-time donation you can find all the links on my website the kofi store makes it really easy you go to ko dash fi.com slash my family thinks i'm crazy and not only is there a bunch of cool merch you can buy posted there but you can also support the show with a one-time donation and that always helps and i will give you a shout out on the show if you're kind enough to do that Uh, another way to have yourself heard on the show is leave us a voice message on telegram you can get in touch with us there it's a great way to become a member of the family and a part of the conversation we have a lot of really kind interesting souls in our telegram chat i'm really proud of that i've been in other telegram chats where the energy is different and i think the vibes in our telegram chat are really cool so if you like that kind of thing join us on telegram and yeah like i said that's it we're about to go to a another conversation with my buddy kyle from the big dumb podcast for a big dumb swap cast it's a lot of fun kyle and i both took turns asking each other questions and uh and yeah it's always good to reconnect with kyle him and i have done at least a handful of shows together at least five shows possibly more if you count uh some other group podcasts but yeah kyle has been a part of alt media united since the early days he's a good dude and uh like myself he has taken his show solo so go and show him some love i know he has merch and a patreon and all that good stuff as well so support kyle and enjoy this conversation as for me i'm out of here no outro at the end of this part of the episode so peace out See you next episode. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy this conversation with Kyle Rainey from the Big Dumb Podcast. Welcome to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Big Dumb Podcast Swapcast. You'll be hearing this on both of our feeds. 
What up, what up, big dumb audience? What up, my family thinks I'm crazy audience? Kyle, thank you for being here, dude. I appreciate you joining me. It's been too long. I think the last time we podcasted was either Thanksgiving or maybe a roundtable, like expanding reality or something or other, but it's been too long either way. How have you been? I've been good, dude. Thanks for having me on. The last time it was just you and me was last year when I had my co-host still. Right. And then I saw you at Thanksgiving and a little bit at Christmas. That was and a good Illuminati time. Illuminati confirmed. How Illuminati could I forget confirmed. that? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. So it's uh, good. You know, the Alt Media United community is ever growing. I feel like new people are always hopping on uh, new faces. That, like, I'm almost overwhelmed with how many people are a part of it. Like, I, because I, I thought I'm like trying to connect with everybody. Like, hey man, like let's do a show together. Like, I know you're, but then sometimes I'm like, wait, who are you? Wait, you're or I know them, and I'm like, oh, you're in Alt Media United. I had no idea because it's just growing and growing and growing. So. That's a great thing that you're doing, man. I'm happy just to be a part of it. It's fun. Heavy hitters, dude. Heavy hitters for sure in that group. Like when you, I think it was our Illuminati confirmed uh, group chat on Telegram that Juan was being all competitive. He's like, I'm catching up to you, Kyle, on downloads. I was like, what are you talking about, dude? Is it a competition? And he was like, no. And I know he was just kidding. It was all fun. And then you hit us with the, the top shows in all media United. And it's like tinfoil hat, Grimerica, your show, higher sides. I was like, thanks Mark. I just like (laughs) my wrist, but that's something I've been, I think a lot of kind of like what we were talking about is that, and even tinfoil hat talked about this on a, a recent episode with the confessional, Tony Merkel is, Man, you just got to keep going. Just keep going. Like, I, because you are your biggest enemy. You, Mark, are your biggest enemy. And me, Kyle, I'm my biggest enemy, right? And this is something I struggle with every day is just like getting out of my own way, being a little nicer to myself, but also pushing myself too. You know what I mean? You can't just expect things to happen without putting in the work. So, um, but when you get discouraged in anything you do, especially content creation, you just got to push forward, you know, and it's all about your mindset. You got to, cause I was talking to someone the other day about like, you know, money and stuff like that. Like, do I want to, uh, you know, I need to get back to like why I got into this. Cause it's not about just making money or, you know, having a huge Patreon or, you know, selling a bunch of t-shirts. That's great. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But I, I had to kind of remind myself, why did I get into this in the first place? It's cause I love doing it. It's cause I love talking about this stuff. I love meeting new people people who, you know, my family thinks I'm crazy. So it's nice to find a new family who kind of accepts me in this community and stuff like that. So that's why, and I think it's important every now and then, especially if you're, you know, not seeing the results or you're, you're feeling discouraged or whatever, just remember why you did this, man. And this is for everybody, regardless of what you do, remember why you started. And because it's, you got to be passionate, you got to be excited and you got to love what you do. And I have to remind myself, like there'll be days I'll just, man, I don't want to do a show or I don't want to do this. And it's like, then when I do it, I just st- shut up and just do it. I have a great time. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> man. I can, my little rant. <laughs> no, dude, not, a, not unwelcome at all. I think that's, this is the perfect place for it. Cause I've seen a lot of people reach out to me saying, Hey, I was inspired to do a podcast by this podcast, your podcast, this podcast, many others, and then they do it, you know, and like you said, so many people have been joining Alt Media United. I can think of a couple examples of people who hit me up and said, hey, I'm going to start a podcast, and they just 
now they're part of Alt Media United because they actually went through and and did it and and hit me up and and got back to me with the information and really there's no barrier <laughs> other than that. I mean, you know, we've had some weird discrepancies in the past where some people kind of, you know, bumped up against others in a weird way and we had to let some people go from the cooperative, but for the most part it's been really awesome to see everybody kind of growing and, you know, to your point about keeping on i mean <laughs> i don't have another job to fall back on you know i like let go yeah. of my my old life and and decided not to do that anymore obviously i had the luck and fortune so to speak of of tripoli kind of giving me a a job but i mean you know it's not much i don't want to talk about finances or anything but i got to do other things to to get yeah, by absolutely. as well you know and and that's kind of where I come at the podcasting game and, and I've always set goals higher and higher, more and more guests. And another thing that happens that's really cool is those guests, most of the time, at least in the earlier part of the show were folks who had other podcasts, you know, and that's how I built up alt media United to what it is now. And like you said, it's still growing. You know, Tim Grimes is another guy had him on my show he felt inspired to start a podcast, went and did it. Yogi Zorananda, episode 19, joined me on the show. I think I re-released it for like episode 90-something, but he, he started a podcast, and now he's got like 30-something episodes out, you know? He's stuck to it, so yeah, I feel that, man. Well, I, think, I think another, at least for me, one of my issues is that I look at other shows and or even just potential guests and i'm like they're they never come on my show you know what i mean like especially when i was first starting out it was you know i i'd hit i think the first really big time i was like oh gosh this is like it freaked me out was when i had deplorable janet on the show because i had seen her on no mercy and deplorable nation all this stuff and i was uh, when i hit her up i i said I, I was so nervous i said do i do i will she come on the show like what, what what's gonna happen like should I just not even ask her? Cause like, I'll get, it's that fear of rejection, that fear of failure that gets in your way and can really slow you down. And once I asked her to come on the show, she was like, absolutely, honey, anything like, well, let's do it. And it was a great show. Right. And we're really good friends now. And so even to this, but still to this day, I'm just, I have a hard time and it's just, it's like I said, getting in your own way. I'm like, should I hit them up to come on the show or I hit them up a while ago and, and they didn't get back to me or they did, but then they canceled. Do we reschedule? Like I just, cause I know everybody's busy. You know what I mean? I'm busy. I got a family to feed and a job and things like that. And everybody does. Right. And so it's just one of those things. It's a, it's a balance, but you also got to be confident and you got to just be okay with being told no, which is hard. I mean, it's, it's still hard for me even now. Like I guess just, you know, throughout my life I've, done really well to put myself out there and you know like for example job interviews you know like I've never not gotten a job that I applied for you know because what you know it's it just and so I have this expectation like what if they tell me no what if they tell me no you know it's uh one of those things so you just gotta uh get out of your own way man I'm and I'm I'm telling you you this Mark but I'm mostly telling myself like when I do a podcast I'm mostly talking to myself like what would I tell myself right now to tell Mark but yeah, man. It's, no, and I understand you've done that. Really I think I think a lot of people do that in, in many different ways. I myself included. But yeah, man. I, I think what's most important to me and why I think I've gotten to where I'm at so soon with the podcast is mostly due to the mission that I've been on 
has been a part of my life way before I even heard a podcast, you know, like, and I think that's true for everybody who does a podcast because it takes a certain amount of motivation to feel confident enough to put your voice out there. So I think every podcaster, when they're in that moment that you express where you're like, oh, you know, I don't know about this guest. Maybe I should just cancel, you know, just remember why you're doing it, man. Cause like for me, you know, I'll tell you what, I just had David Icke on the podcast and that was a big oh, deal, dude. you know, and, and we had like a, a time mix up where, you know, I guess England hasn't done their daylight savings time yet. So even though it was like, it was like, you know, um, like supposed to be starting at this time, it was actually an hour later. So like David wasn't there. We were there wondering like, oh, is David going to show up? I guess he's not going to show up. And then Ron joined me as a co-host and he's like, oh no, Mark, don't worry that, you know, they're an, they're an hour back, you know? And so we reconvened. That's a great Ron from new England impression. That's fantastic. You know, I I love Ron to death and that's why, that's why I worry about it. Yeah. That's why I had him there. Cause I was nervous and you know, Ron's much older than me. He's got a lot more experience and, and we're both New Englanders, so I felt like it was a good fit to to unite, you know, across the pond. And plus, Ron's done shows with Richard Willett as well, so that kind of helped. But but yeah, you know, it was nervous, a nervous kind of thing. And like, there was a relief almost that oh, David's not going to show because it's like we'll have another day or whatever. But then I realized like, no, 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 no. We're going to make this happen, especially when Ron said that, because I'm like, oh, no, we're doing this, you know, and the nervousness kind of subsided. And David is a pro. So the conversation went great. I'm sure, you know, all you need to do is put him in the right position. And he just goes and each Takes answer. That, yeah. yeah, you get David, I go and he'll you, you don't have to say much. You just say, hey, David, what's going on? What do you think about <laughs> this? And he'll just be, take off, which is great. That's a great, a great guest. And kind of what you said, what you were talking about, like your journey that you've been on as far as it started a long time ago. I would kind of, I kind of know what you're talking about. Cause I, I've talked to you about it before, but kind of where was that journey? Where did that journey start for you? And then I want to know, like, what's the point? Like, what are we, what are you doing? Cause it applies to all of us. I think, what are you, what's your goal in all of this? Not just podcasting, not just content creation or, you know, this but what is the, what do you want out of this? I don't know what this is, but like not this life, that's too big of a question, but where do you see yourself going? Cause this is something I've, I've wanted to talk to you about. Like, are you journeying to become a true mystic? I mean, that's something that you can achieve and I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not like trying to mess with you, but you know, you can do that. You know, if you, that's something you want to do, or you can be a, a, a podcasting guru. I mean, there's so many things that you can do because you're what you're 28, right? 27, 27. I'm 25. So, you know, we're probably the younger people in the podcasting game. You know what I mean? Some of the younger ones. And there's a, a lot of potential, not just with our, our shows, but with us, you know, as people. So where did your journey like where did when you started where did you see it going and then now where do you see it going that's a really good question yeah thank you man i i i think it started just from always being curious and always questioning and always wanting to learn you know my my interest shifted over the years from you know the more obvious things that kids would be interested in like i was a particularly nerdy kid i like superheroes and 
animals and learning all about the different parts of the world. I, I could tell you every country in Africa at a certain age, you know, like I was always just like, not trying to impress people, but people had a, like a sort of like, oh, this kid is smart. And it wasn't always a good thing because my peers were like, were like, oh, this guy's a nerd, you know? So and I was kind of the same way. So <laughs> I can probably assume you were also kind of a smart ass because that's how I was. I thought I knew everything because I did. I was smarter than those other kids. That's for damn sure. But I was kind of a dick about it sometimes. <laughs> right. Right. And that, yeah, I was definitely a smart ass, but I wasn't always witty in like social situations, not at least until I got a little older. And, and then that got me in some trouble which inspired me to to learn martial arts and and then you know somewhere along the way weed came into the equation and I talk a lot about how cannabis kind of revealed a lot of things to me that I had been you know ignorant of you know I had this kind of <clears throat> orthodox view of of religion that was given to me by the family like most people and, you know, I kind of rejected that. And then cannabis brought me back into a deeper understanding of who I was as a spiritual being, you know, and, and that process of understanding, I don't think really can ever be finished. And for whatever reason, I've, you know, had the, <laughs> the endless, you know, desire to talk about this stuff way before I ever had a podcast, hence like hippie Mark kind of was my nickname for a while. People would call me hippie Mark cause I had crystals on and I would never shut up about all this stuff. And, and then I became mystic Mark when I actually started making crystals that, you know, jewelry that people would actually buy. And then, you know, with the books you see behind me, like that's always been a part of it too. So it was never an idea of like, Oh, I'm doing all this to become a podcaster. I really had no idea you know, where these skills I was drawn to would ever be applied to, you know, I didn't see myself as having the, you know, composure to write a book. I didn't see myself as having like the wherewithal to get through school to become like an anthropologist or, you know, all these topics that we talk about, you know, you see guys like Graham Hancock taking that to the level. There was definitely, you know, a time in my life where I thought maybe that would be a cool thing to do. And, and around the time that I was in community college, I, I was spending a lot of time on the green, the public area in, in this city, New Haven, in between classes, just smoking weed, trying to read these books that were not a part of my courses. I was reading like the secret teachings of the world and, you know, Carlos Castaneda books and things like that. And I ran into a guy named Amos who had all this stuff in mind, you know, as we say in this community, he had a black belt in conspiracy or a belt in conspiracy. And I definitely had a belt in conspiracy theory at that point in my life. But, you know, we sort of realized we were like minds. And he told me a bunch of stuff that really motivated me to understand something that I think has become, especially recently, what I would say motivates me the most. I mean, obviously in a general sense, understanding and evolving and improving my life is always going to be motivating me because I see through cannabis the power of my mind to change my reality in that way, you know, and I'll never forget that. And I don't think it's cannabis altogether. I think it's just the mind and cannabis revealed that to me. 
And, you know, I was always fascinated with superheroes and animals. So I was always thinking about consciousness. I just didn't understand that's what I was thinking about. And then, and then when I, you know, when I met Amos and he kind of broke it down to me that this great Holocaust had happened to the Native Americans, this great genocide and their spiritual culture had been like ripped upside down from them. And, and, you know, I just talked to a guy named Peter Shampoo who talks about how, you know, the Masons go and, and take that energy and repurpose it, you know, for lack of a better word. He says it much more eloquently than I can, but I definitely feel like that's become a big part of what I what I meant to do is, is look into the land, the energy of the land that I was born on this area in particular, and then wherever else life takes me, you know, my girlfriend and I, like I said, just got an apartment in town. So we're excited about that studying the Connecticut mystery, meaning like the river, Connecticut river. Cause I think, you know, Michael Wan's work has inspired me as well. And his Susquehanna yeah. alchemy. I love what y'all do together. Yeah. What y'all are doing together is, is fantastic. And it, yeah. the dude is, he's got a, a, a knack for it. I mean, just his enthusiasm about that topic will make anybody interested. You know what I mean? Even if you're like, what, he's talking about a river, like what, what, but no. And you see how everything connects, you know? And that's, that's why people might hear what I said. Like, oh, this guy cares about the Native American Holocaust. What is he? Some kind of like liberal, like victim, like victim blaming, like, you know what I mean? Like these people. It's not that. You can tell when someone means, means comes from a genuine uh, point of view rather than virtue signaling point of view. That's the better term, virtue signaling. Yeah. And I think, I think that's definitely, you know, a weaponized thing and it's not in harmony with anything that the native American people really need from the rest of the world. You know, they don't need us to ever see themselves as victims either. You know what I mean? Like they, they, even to this day, they consider themselves, uh, spiritual beings, powerful warriors. And you know, that's Uh, the, that's the thing for me. It's like, I, I grew up with, uh, uh, sort of not blood relative, but my father was good friends with a guy who's a part of one of the only tribes that's in Connecticut that has like a status as a tribe. And I remember going to his house as a kid and, and like seeing the stuff he had around his house, like wolves and like uh, paintings and like skins and things from like South America. And just thinking like, Oh, this is cool. Like this is his culture. This is a totally different thing. And that resonated with me. It struck a chord with me and I never pursued it, you know, outside of like, you know, like obviously talking to Amos and all the research I've done now. But, you know, I, I really think that there's something that we need to reconcile there as far as like the landscape energy and and how these cities are being built because you see this like modern the people call it modern but i really think it's more of an american a westernized thing like people talk about depression and we can take the conspiracy theorist angle but i mean if you really understand the truth about what happened to native americans you'll you'll instantly be a conspiracy theorist because the mainstream the mainstream media, the mainstream academia does not want you to understand the real truth about the Native Americans. They want you to think they're Stone Age people and had no right to be on this land and, you know, and all I think this another, BS. I think you're right on that. And I think another point of of that, like what they don't want us to know what really happened to them, 
not only because it was terrible and it's awful, but a lot of those same tactics to that were used to destroy a people and a culture are being used by that same government on its people today. Right. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that, the, the flooding of, of drugs and alcohol and, you know, the, and it the is, it is way of culture is, is, is more damaging than, I mean, just look at our culture nowadays. It's like, you got the WAP and you got all these things, which I'm not saying there's no value to some of that, but well, you got to admit. What, wait, what's that? Can you explain that? The, the wet ass pussy. Oh, song, okay. Cause people, people where I live might take that as a different thing, but okay. I understand. Oh, the WAP because they're Italians. <laughs> he said it, not me. I'm, a, I'm Italian. I can say it. It's all good. And actually I was going to say, I have some on my dad's side. He's actually, got his Indian card from the Cherokee, uh, the Choctaw Indians in oh, wow. Oklahoma. And then on my mom's side, they're actually from upstate New York. Her family is, and they are very, very Italian. But at one point, I think her great grandmother, my mom's great grandmother. So my great, great grandmother was full blooded Blackfoot uh, Indian um, from the Blackfoot tribe, which is based in Northern, the Northeast in Canada. And I just have never really tapped into those roots. I've never really, just cause I'm so far removed in my generation, I'm, I'm more connect with the Italian side and the Irish side, which are also, per- we're also persecuted and uh, demonized in this country at one point. But I think there's just, I mean, it's you, I was going to say as well, like the area that you're in personally, I've never been there. I've lived in New Jersey for a little bit, but it was in, you know, it's New Jersey. <laughs> it's a hellhole. <laughs> I bet the natives said you can have New Jersey, take it back. We don't want it because <laughs> it's so bad. Sorry, New Jersey people, but you know, if you live there, but where you're at, it's a, it's a historic place. It's a beautiful place from what I've heard and what, from what you've told me. And there's so much energy there, but also I think that applies to almost anywhere in the country where they're, especially where the natives lived, right? So I live in West Texas near the, what's called Paladero Canyon. It's actually the second largest Canyon in the country, like next to the Grand Canyon. It's the next biggest one. And I had never heard about it until I moved here and people were like, Oh, have you gone to the Canyon yet? I'm like, no, that's like two States over. Why am I going to go there? And like, no, it's five minutes down the road. And uh, apparently then I listened to this audiobook called empire, the summer moon, Joe Rogan had really pushed it on his I show. It. And it, yeah, it's great. And, the uh, Cherokee, I believe that was the tribe. They were based like here, like where my house is, is probably where some Cherokee uh, natives lived. And the can the Canyon, which is 10 miles down the road is there was their stronghold. And you hear about all the history of these people, how they could, you know, move so far. And they had all these sites and they were nomadic, but they still had uh, a culture that traveled with them and they could, come back and forth and they were just so uh, advanced when it came to the land, how to, how to use the, cause there's not much water out here. There's not much, uh, a whole lot of resources as far as survivability, but they managed to do it and they thrived. And so I'm just saying, I, I to your point that there's something hidden in that history that we aren't supposed to know about. I think they're trying to disconnect us from the land as much as possible. Cause think about in our society now, who's closest to the land, it's the farmers and the ranchers, you know, and, and even then they still, they have a better appreciation than most of us do, but even then it's still not the same. Like that's as close as we're getting right now. Right. So 
Yeah, no, it's definitely case by case. I'm sure there are some farmers who can care less about things like land spirits, but I'm sure there's plenty of others who who have <laughs> like spirits, yes. you know have like the folk wisdom and and yeah, definitely it's something you you learn just through that kind of work, whether you have that tradition in your ancestry or not but wow man i didn't realize that that's really cool i think you should you should connect more with that in some way whether it's just like you know my advice because this is kind of how things have unfolded for me is like just go to that place on a hike and connect with the place maybe with your special lady and and say some words you know of of you know prayer for yourself for your family for the space for the everybody you know the little ones the kids out there and all the creatures all the animals and everything that yeah it really is but you connect with it through your word like that and then i'll tell you what 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 will happen is as you as you go out through your day through your life it's going to connect with you and maybe it'll be a book. Maybe it'll be another audio book, like the one you found the first time or whatever it is. Maybe you'll find an arrowhead somewhere or feather like happened to me with the feather, but uh, you know, whatever it is, I think when you connect these places that, you know, really people regard them as just like physical things, you know, it's, it's rare that, you know, people go into nature with a sort of spirit, like they're connecting with that. I'm not saying I'm the only person. There's, a, I'm sure, no, plenty yeah. of people, but yeah, I don't think it's as common as it should be. And and there's definitely like some magic you can engage with, especially a place that has history like that place. You know. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you this too because with all the craziness that our particularly particularly our generation has experienced, I mean from when we were little kids, we had, we had nine 11, we had the Afghanistan, Iraq wars. We had two, three recessions. We had a global pandemic. If you want to call it that we had, I mean, we had Donald Trump say what you will about the guy, but that was a, a huge event for the, for, for our generation. And now we have this whole thing. I mean, it's just been nonstop since we were, since we were kids. Right. And I always revert back to the Billy Joel song. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world was turning. Right. Like this is nothing new, but our generation in particular has really been through the ringer, not to mention the technology, the isolation into cities, things like that. Do you feel that we're on a cycle? Cause other people I've talked to, they, you know, people in their twenties and thirties are wanting to just get out of it. They just want to go live on a farm, go live in the woods and the mountains and homestead, buy some, you know, get some chickens, plant some vegetables, maybe get a cow and, you know, some goats or something. I, I, and you know, that's where the whole tiny house movement comes from the van life kind of thing. All of, I think all of those movements, I think it's a reaction to the madness that we've experienced because it's not, you don't see a bunch of 60 year olds right now going out and buying farms and, you know, trying to homestead. It's young people who are like, we have not learned how to take care of ourselves. We are tired of this madness going on. Let's just unplug and escape. Do you think that's, do you see that as a reaction to the things that have happened? And have you experienced that? Like, do you, is that something you would like to do in some, some form? Well, you know, it's tough. Like when you grow up where I grow up, you know, where I grew up, like, it's sort of like, you know, it's interesting because I, I don't know what it's like in Texas. I've never been there, but Connecticut. Oh, you got to come to Texas. 
You got to come to Texas. I, I think I will. You know that you're not the only person that have sent an invite. Alex and I definitely need to get down and and do something. So when I when I make my way to Texas, I have I have you, Alex Stein, and Brandon Thomas to meet up with, and I'm sure there's other people yeah, that I'm leaving in, uh, out. Where's Brandon at? He's in um, some small. He's in some small little town, incorporated town in the middle. Yeah, of, I just don't remember which area it's because Texas is it's huge. Near, I mean, it's near, I know it's near some really beautiful water. I remember he was telling me it's like a really okay. big river lake nearby. But uh, but yeah, Brandon's got the the setup. If you want to talk about homesteading, that's the guy to talk about. Exactly. Yeah. With you know, I, I'm inspired. You know, there's a, Tony Merkel. You mentioned him. You know, he was on my show a couple weeks ago. I haven't aired the episode yet, but uh, he was on Tim Foil Hat this uh, past Monday. And he, you know, mentioned to me at least, uh, I don't probably talked about it off air with them, that he's going down to Tennessee. I think he didn't mention that. Mm -hmm. And that's inspiring, you know. It's like all these different people are are realizing like, yeah, I got to move somewhere else. Like I know Tony personally, he lives somewhere like close to a city you know so it's for him after all this you know pandemic crap it's like going to tennessee is a relief from all that you know and i feel that you know being in connecticut because it's it's very much like an urban place but that being said it's still beautiful yeah, yeah you guys have said, trees every our, there's not a tree anywhere within like 50 miles of me man wow. like I, i've want, land out here is cheap like i'm not saying there's no trees but it's not like what you guys have yeah. and I, i've Land out here is cheap, but I'm like, if I'm going to buy five or 10 acres, I at least want one tree. (laughs) But here's what someone told me the other day. I I mentioned that to them and they said, you're young, man, plant the trees. You know what I mean? Plant the trees and and let them grow. And I said, that's a good point, but we just don't get enough rainfall per year to grow big trees. But you got to get, you got to get Corey Daniels on your show. He'll tell you about all the plants in the desert that you might not be, you know, fully aware of that you could utilize. Cause I'm sure there's a lot, but I'll tell you what, you know, Connecticut for being an urban place, the cities are really all just along the highways and you can kind of draw a line through the state. You know, there's really only three major highways that go through the state and and that's pretty much like it everywhere else is like kind of farmy kind of rural and and then there's some really like grimier places you know new haven a place that i i go to a lot is definitely had its day as a grimy place it's kind of turning around but it's it's gone through its ups and downs but i think there's something to connecting with the land it's just tough like when you when you live in a place like this to leave for some reason, I don't know, but my, my I girlfriend and I are definitely talking about it. And, and I certainly uh, don't plan on living here in my whole life. You know, I just don't see well, that happening. It is but. hard, dude. It's hard. Cause like, I feel the same way about Texas because mm-hmm. every state has their own sense of, of pride in some sense, but I was born and raised in Dallas, Texas, just like Alex Stein. You know, we, we grew up like 20 minutes from each other. Oh, wow. Uh, but I, it's just that sense of pride that you have. And like when I lived in Illinois for four or five years and New Jersey for a year, I just, it, I wasn't, wasn't home. It was not home, man. It just felt weird. It was great. I was grateful for the experiences you get to learn and grow and kind of see what you like and what you don't like. But I get your roots, man, wanting to stay close to your roots. And, and I think that's important too, because that's another thing is that we've lost people, which is, it's good and bad. There's ups and downs, but people grow up and then they leave, go to school and they never come back. Right. Mm. 
which, you know, or they get, let's say like they get famous and they never, they come from a poor community, they get famous and they never come back. It's like, well, that's why that community didn't ever get any better. Cause you, you left it, you know, and I'm not saying it's on one person's responsibility, but you know, I think roots are important and I don't know, man, I don't, it's, well, just, it's just, there's a certain aspect of it. Like my girlfriend and I, Tara, we're planning on, uh, we're planning on kind of putting together something similar. Like I said, that, you know, with the Connecticut river and seeing where it connects, you know, cause if what Mike researched with the Susquehanna river is true, which I totally think it is, then the same must be true for every river. You can find the same pattern. And the guy I mentioned before, Peter Shampoo, has a whole book about like rivers and how they're connected to different parts of the moon. Like the Nile River specifically is like a mirror of the moon in a way, way out of really? my league. He he can uh, explain yeah. it much better. I'd, I'll put you in touch with him if you're interested. But but yeah, it's definitely you know something I I want to get to before I leave the state and. But then there's part of me that, like, for instance, New Jersey. I like New Jersey. I mean, my buddy Mike Romanelli has a restaurant out <laughs> Mike's there. Mike's going to be like, fuck this Kyle, dude. He doesn't know Jersey. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a, I, I like it. I'm a Texas it. boy coming to Jersey. Well, you, you could talk shit. You live there. It's not like you've never been there and you're talking shit. I think that's the problem is when someone's like, oh, nice. New Jersey sucks. I heard about that you know, place. I'll tell you the one thing, the one kicker for New Jersey, because for the most part, it was a nice place. The people, well, the people aren't so nice for the most, <laughs> the people I knew were nice, but like the drivers are terrible. But the worst part was, cause I, I'm, I'm a Texas boy. I drove my truck there when I moved there and I got out to get gas. Oh God. <laughs> and, and the, the gas station attendant runs out and like threatens to like call the cops on me. And like, you know, as if I had just committed some sort of heinous act, you can't pump your own gas in New Jersey. Right. And I didn't know that. And I'm start, I grabbed the, I touched the pump and they're like, uh, uh-uh. uh, I was like, Oh my God, that's what I didn't like about it. <laughs> I was like, I can pump my own gas. Other than that, for the most part, Jersey's not bad. I don't, I never buy gas in Jersey just because of that. Like I literally, if I'm going through Jersey, I will fill up my tank. If I'm in Jersey, I will avoid buying gas there as much as I possibly can. But yeah, I know, I know exactly that feel. Connecticut is not like that. Although we do have some like fancy uppity self-serve gas stations where they're like a little, te- like 12 year old dude will come out, like pump your gas for you. Or like an old man will come and pump your gas for you, you know. Wipe your windshield yeah. and stuff like that. It, you, you and I, day. yeah, you and I, we're used to, we're used to like the 7-Eleven job where you get like you know typical gas station walk in do everything yourself but yeah new jersey's odd with that i do like that they legalize weed though i'm glad you reminded me of that because i i was thinking about moving to jersey and that's a big thing to consider is the gas thing you just gotta be comfortable but now that weed's legal i I'm not so worried about people smelling my car. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So let me ask you about weed, man, because that was something that was really close to my heart for a very, very long time. I started smoking pot when I was, I don't know, 14. And just like you, it kind of changed my paradigm on things because both my parents were really big drug addicts before I was born. My dad continued to be a drug addict after I was born. And so I just had a bad, I, I was very wary of drugs right just in general even pot and then when i smoked weed i was like oh this is fantastic this is awesome you know what i mean (laughs) i had the same uh, thing man Uh, you know my i definitely had that kind of thing you know 
not with my father uh, specifically or my mom really, but there was just like just that atmosphere too, yeah. of, of partying that I saw when I was a kid that they definitely have changed on in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, that was the one of the big, and I don't talk about this a lot, but that's a big reason why I had such an eye-opening experience with weed because I was like, oh, wow, they're lying to us about this drug. Yeah, and then they're, exactly. then they're incentivizing this other drug, alcohol, which just makes everybody a fucking disaster, a nightmare, specific people. You know, I drink, when I drink, I have some fun, but that's because I've seen when people drink too much, you know, and I'm just, yeah, yeah. Not, not my yeah. thing at all. Like, I, I was in a fraternity, and that was probably the most I ever drank, but we were, like, a very, like, rough out law type fraternity i didn't even go to the college that the fraternity was on you know a campus on you were just there <laughs> yeah well that's the thing you it was like joined? it was like underground like they accepted anyone as long as you oh, were wild. at some point a college student which i was i was i was that's in a community wild. college when i got in there so it was, oh my god that's hilarious it's basically a gang at that point <laughs> oh yeah it was great i mean they're they're outlaws i i can't talk about them on the record but but yeah there that was a fun time but i that was the most i ever drank and and i just never really got into it you know as fun as it is sometimes to be buzz and and be in that atmosphere i just saw where the consciousness became you know what the consciousness was drawn down to and like the type of conversations i always like to have were high-minded ones the types you could have uh -huh. smoking and some people even like they see the show and they're like oh geez i don't know how you smoke and talk about all this stuff like don't you get like stoned and i'm like yeah i get stoned but i'm like this is like basics for me i've been doing this you know for eight years smoking and talking and that about was this my, stuff that was my thing is that like i I was the same way you were. I hardly ever drank. I just smoked a ton of weed. It actually got me through a lot of hard times. Like, you know, even just by myself, I would just sit and smoke and hang out with my cat and watch a documentary or read a book or just kind of be alone with myself. It really taught me how to be alone with myself. Right. And I had some, I'd have very creative thoughts, very deep thoughts. And, and then at some point college for me, I was, I was crazy. I, smoked i i say from the first day orientation to graduation day i was high the whole time i was never not high i dabbled in a lot of other drugs and i drank a lot and got myself into a lot of trouble especially with the ladies but <laughs> i after i got out of college i just stopped smoking as much i just because i was working all the time and I don't, I don't know what the shift was. Maybe it was when I started my job working for the government. Cause I, I was like, Oh my God, I'm so I can't smoke, you know? And, and now the few times that I have smoked, I think just cause my tolerance has gone down so much and the weed has gotten exponentially better uh, and stronger that it just freaks me out now. And I, I don't like, cause I miss it, dude. I really do. I miss the like what you're doing. I miss rolling a blunt. I could roll a blunt like nobody's business. I miss uh, sitting in that circle, talking with people and having fantastic ideas and, and deep thoughts and deep conversations, things you'd normally never talk about. Right. And I just can't do it anymore, man. Like uh, it, it, it makes me sad, but I also perhaps that's the universe telling me something. Maybe I was using it as a crutch. Maybe I was uh, abusing it. Maybe I don't know. But then 
you know, now I drink probably way more than I should. I'm not an alcoholic. <laughs> well, an alcoholic will say that, but <laughs> I'm not getting hammered every night. You know what I mean? But I'll come home after work. I also do hard labor. So I'll come home after work, have a few beers, eat dinner and go to bed. Right. So, or do a podcast. So, but I'm just saying like, I, I miss that. Like you said, the consciousness of it, like, cause I drink cause I just want to chill out and not think about anything. Right. And that sucks. But now if I try to smoke, even if it's like, like I have a little vape pen or like an edible or something like I just get too anxious, you know what I mean? And, but the thing is, since I stopped smoking, my anxiety throughout the day has skyrocketed. So I'm like, maybe I'll smoke to alleviate that, but then I just get too high and freak out. So I don't, I don't know what the balance is, man. I don't I mean, CBD is great. I like CBD. That well, helps. I tell you what, man. I mean, I would have anxiety and paranoia too if I was in the Lone Star State smoking weed, man. I'm <laughs> I, shit, dude. Some of those cowboys you guys have as police officers are are pretty badass, and I would not want to be on the wrong end of any of those guys. So yeah, that was always a thing when I was younger before weed was kind of decriminalized. See, that's never the that's never the worry for me. I can deal with cops. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, it's the physical, like I get in my head, I get really into my physical self nowadays. Like I, like the last time I got really high, I was with a good friend of mine who listens to your show, listens to all the show. That's how Shout we met. Shout out Davey, my boy. What's up um, Davey. And we just, we, we smoked cause like, and I wanted to like, you know, it was just us hanging out and I was like, sure, let's smoke. And I thought I was going to die, which I know everybody says, Oh, they're going to die. But I, that's just, I was like, this is not what I wanted to get into. And I feel like I've gotten what I needed to get out of weed. I just miss it, man. And I don't, I don't know if you have any advice for me, but it's just, it's just mushrooms are great. I love mushrooms when I've taken those in the not so distant past, like I don't trip super hard, but I'll take, you know, a, a little bit and just kind of what, relax a remind bit. me of what the setting was when you did the when you smoked for the last time like because you're with this friend but were you somewhere familiar or somewhere new yeah we were at my house yeah okay uh but we maybe it's i don't know what it is maybe it's just because we we don't hang out too much just because we're we live in different towns maybe i was trying to and that's well, the thing too is the setting i i because i get into i analyze things overly like i'm like am i being a bad host or am i acting weird Maybe. And I think that everybody kind of experiences that, but that's a good point. The setting might've been off. Well, that's exactly what you need to tap into is your analyzing self, but also, you know, don't let your kind of, you know, don't take my opinion as fact, but, or my advice as, as opinion, you know, I think you need to maybe smoke just a little bit, of course, allegedly, you know, cause you're in Texas, allegedly you'll smoke just a little bit. By yourself, or maybe if your lady's around, you know, she could keep an eye on you and bring you some snacks or something. But, you know, yes. I would say, yeah, just ask yourself, you know, why am I having this feeling? And maybe the answer is because you're past it. And I think that's the best thing you can do. I mean, if you're having second thoughts, but if you're already like, oh, yeah, no, I think it's just because I'm past it. Well, then that, that's the answer. You know, you don't need to smoke weed anymore. Maybe you go into um, a mushroom experience with that same intention and ask yourself why you're afraid you're going to die, because I think that's. That's something that people express like when they first smoke weed. I remember, you know, many times 
when I was just getting into smoking weed, asking people like, well, why do you think you get paranoid, you know? And I think a lot of people were just uncomfortable with themselves or uncomfortable with the fact yes. that they were a physical being. And I think a lot of frightening psychedelic experiences that I've had by myself have led me to have a pretty strong confidence and bravery in the face of the fact that yeah, everything is fleeting in a sense. Like uh, my physical life yes. is only yes limited and and my spiritual life is forever i think you know and that's something that everybody has to determine for themselves but you know we can talk and i'm sure i've talked about this on plenty of other podcasts about reincarnation and all the spiritual information from all the various different cultures around the world that gives me a lot of confidence you know and that we're here for a purpose going back to what i was saying before about raising the awareness while also, you know, learning and getting as much knowledge and wisdom as I can for myself only to in turn, you know, share what I've learned if it benefits others. And and how else could I ever benefit others if I don't test it on myself first? So <laughs> you what you just said, I I kind of just like in internally like <sighs> You know what I mean? Like that, that's what, it's kind of what I needed to hear. And I, maybe that, that's, a, that's, that's what I needed to hear was just maybe I need to hear more. I don't know, but that uncomfortableness with yourself, it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Like you have to be okay with yourself. You have to be able to accept failure. And I don't know what it is, but it was in the past few years. I really kind of never cared about dying when I was in college or, or partying and stuff like that. I was like, fuck it. But I don't know what the shift was where, cause it's not, it happens even when I don't get high, even when I'm not smoking weed, sometimes I'll just be like, Oh my God, like I'll have like a anxiety attack or something. And I've tried medication. That is awful. That's well, the worst. Here's the thing now you're already trying medication every time you, you drink alcohol. Right. So maybe less is more, you know? Maybe right, that's what's right. happening. You know, I would always go with the first four things. It's like, what are you breathing in? What are you seeing? Your sunlight intake, what you eat every day and what you drink every day. You know, if, if, you know, if 80% of what you drink every day isn't water, then maybe you should start with that, you know? And I, I'm guilty of that too. I drink a lot of like tea and stuff. People probably see me on the podcast drinking like coffee and honest iced tea you know, all the time. So I have my own like little sugar kick that I'll probably get over at some point in my life. And I'm blessed to have a, a very health conscious girlfriend who helps me out with that <laughs> kind of stuff. But you yeah. know, as far as alcohol goes, like other than doing like a fun podcast, like the ones we've done, I never really have a motivation to, dr to drink on a podcast, you know, like every now and then, if I know it's going to be kind of like bullshitting around, like I, I, at the grocery store, I'll buy myself like a beer for that podcast, you know. But other than that, like I really have lost kind of touch with that. And I think it's because I'm, I'm in a relationship that I'm happy with. And most of the drinking that I did in the past was like to try to be more social and meet more people. And at this point in my life, you know, like I met someone who I'm really happy to be with. And I'm also constantly talking to new people like new yeah. like cycling through and making connections with people like yourself who come back on the show and so now i'm never starved for that kind of social you know aspect yeah. and i think for for me because i i'll say up front i'm in a the best relationship i've been in and 
that I've ever been in. I'm in the best place, like as far as like being a, an adult, right? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm taking care of everything, doing good. I think it's that uncomfortableness with myself. I think that's something I really got to look into. And it's been a, several years since I've actually taken like a hard mushroom trip. Maybe I'm due for another one, man. Maybe that's something that, cause when I, the first time I did like actually, you know, took you know what I would it. say, you know what I would say would maybe even be more powerful and, and, you know, take my word for what it is. But I think if, if your lady's going to drive you, you take like maybe less than what you would take to, to like trip, you know, just a little bit less than what you've taken that's gotten you to that point where you're like out of your normal consciousness and go to that place we talked about before, that gorge. Yeah, go for a hike, spend the day hiking, you know, just take enough to where you feel it, but you're not like in a unable to walk, you know, bring water and stuff. Obviously, you don't want to dehydrate yourself. Yeah. I wouldn't go too far out if you're going to be tripping, but definitely, you know, connect to the energy of the land, you know, and let the answer kind of come to you from that, especially if you have that kind of connection through your blood too. I mean, that can only add to it, you know? Yeah. So, well, and that's interesting because that's what, at least what we hear in the, in the movies and TV shows and books and things is that that's what the natives would do when they encountered a problem, whether it was a physical problem or a, a spiritual problem or something like that, or a problem uh, in their family, they would do a sweat or they would uh, have some peyote and sit by the fire or go out in, into the, into the wilderness by themselves and see what the spirits had to offer them. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing. I think we've lost touch with that. And I think that's a great idea, man. I think we should, I think I, I think I'm going to do that, man. I'm just, I'm like, oh, the canyon. I don't want to go to the canyon. It's hot. Rah, 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 rah. You know what I mean? But it is a beautiful place. And I think I need to take advantage of it, man. Because I think when I hear, when people talk about the canyon, you know, to me, they're like, they're hikers and bikers and stuff. They're like, yeah, you know, I got my backpack and my fancy shoes and my fancy bike and stuff. And it's like, they're doing it to, for like exercise. Yeah, and but like, none of those people are even connecting with, that's the problem with, and that's why I said before, like what I said about, like, it's not common for people to take this approach, save for like certain places that are already regarded with that. Like you'll see, I'm sure Mount Shasta and obviously places mm -hmm. in Arizona and New Mexico, people go to those places for that type of thing. But yeah, I think people take it for granted. It's not just Mount Shasta. It's not just the special like vortexes in Sedona. Every place has a sacred aspect to it. And when you go walking around with rubber shoes on, which I myself am definitely guilty of, it's more comfortable than walking barefoot. But I plan on doing that more often this summer. And I did last summer. You know, go especially like going on the river and stuff. We have a lot of rivers in Connecticut. But yeah, you know, connecting, you know, especially people on bikes. I mean, I, I get upset sometimes, maybe more easily than I should. But I, I like going places where it's more remote and you're not going to run into people biking. Because when a biker comes by on the hiking trail, I always give them a dirty look. And I'm just like, yeah, what's, the, what's this going to be a fight one day? <laughs> yeah, it's just going to turn into a fight one day. And uh, I don't want to have that happen. But well, but. I think that's important is like, you know, connecting yeah. and, and getting to the peaceful because a lot of people, you know, they take it for granted. You know, these bikers, they treat these forests like they're freaking stadiums for their little X games in their minds. And I just no no offense to anybody who enjoys BMX and stuff, but keep that shit to the courses. Don't be doing that out in the, you know, special areas yeah. and whatnot. You Very know? Good. 
And I will say you kind of sparked my, my mind a little bit that we, so my, my family and I were on a, a deer lease in central Texas where we go hunting and things like that. It's not our land, but we lease it to go hunt and we have a year round access. So I'm actually going to be doing my bachelor party out there this summer. And it's awesome. We got, you know, RVs and campers and you know, four wheelers and things like that to just, you know, ride around. It's, it's a big, a big place. But when I'm out there, like it's, a, you know, we don't have water, you know, we have electricity, but like, we don't have water hookups, you know, we have to bring our water to drink and, you know, there's animals everywhere. And when I'm out there, man, I feel like there's like no worries. You know what I mean? Even though you're more likely to hurt yourself or something to go wrong. But when I'm out there, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm not connected to the internet. I'm just doing my own thing, you know? And like when I went hunting this year, like I actually hunted for the first time and I shot two deer and it was the most spiritual experience I've had in a very, very long time. Just, I mean, it was not enjoyable. Like I didn't like shooting the deer, but it was, uh, I was extremely grateful. It was, it was very humbling and i made the most out of it. I mean, I'm still eating the meat now and I'll have plenty for the rest of the year. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. And it, it I feel better about, you know, but rather than buying, you know, chicken nuggets at the store or steaks or whatever, like I have it, I have it all here that I, and I did that, you know? So even just something as simple as that connecting to land, whether you are just going out for leisure or to uh, gather resources or to connect spiritually. I think all of those things can bring, put us in a better headspace in our minds. Cause I, I agree with you, man. I, I feel like I, it's 10, 10, sorry. I, 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 I've lately, I've been seeing numbers on the clock every time that are all the same. I actually talked to Nico from upstate unconventional a few weeks ago. Shout and I, he was asking me, yeah, he's a cool dude. And, and he was saying, asking me about my spiritual experiences. And I said, you know, when I was, going to, when I was a, a young teen and I was going to church all the time, me and my buddy would always see every time we looked at the clock, we are also smoking a ton of weed too. But every time we looked at the clock, it was one eleven, two twenty two, three thirty three. Like every time we looked and we'd both look at the clock at the same time and be like, what? And I said, since that, since that time in my life, that doesn't happen anymore. And Nico goes, watch over the next few days. That's all you're going to see. And sure as shit, the last couple of weeks, dude, all I've seen when I look at the clock is 10, 10, 11, 11, 12, 12. And I don't know if that's a synchronicity. I know you might know a little bit more about synchronicities than, than I do, but I know one when I see one, right? It's one of those things you, you can't explain it, I, I but think you know, it's, I think, you know, as much as I'd like to sit here and be like, oh, thanks, man. I'm the expert. I'm not, you know, I think it, it's just something that you experience, you know, it's like, sure. There are people who, you know, I can't, you know, I was going to compare it to something, but it's not even something you can really compare to like that. I mean, it, it, synchronicity is just something that is inherently uh, non-physical, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, you know it when you see it, right? Yeah, it's like slips through your hand when you try to like really define it other than outside of the context of like your own personal story and narrative. That's right, why like I almost like the synchronicities are almost really 
like from the average person, you know, they're really personal, you know, it's only when you start like digging into these mysteries that like want to be solved and have like a consciousness maybe on the other side that the synchronicities start getting really interesting, you know, but I think the synchronicities that people experience in their own life, when you start becoming aware of them, they'll lead you to maybe overcoming your fears or, or you know, improving your life or finding that new uh, opportunity or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. It's like when you're thinking about someone, you're like, man, I wonder how they're doing. And then they call you. <laughs> Have you ever had that happen? Mm. You're just thinking about, you oh, know, yeah. like it happens all the time, man. And that's, you were meant to talk to them at that point, you know, maybe you're, they needed to tell you something or you just needed to connect with them or, I don't know, man. It's, uh, can, can I ask you about, cause I want to know, you know, they call you mystic Mark. I actually have, I took a mysticism class in college and I was so stoned and it was just an elect, like I was just trying to get the require, you know, elective requirement or whatever. So I didn't really pay attention or read the books, but I've had, I have the books still. And I started reading it actually, you know, actually reading it recently. And I'd like to send you send it to you or send you a copy or something. It's, it's a, it's an academic study on mysticism. So from a actual academic and scientific standpoint, and I think you'd like it quite a bit. I don't have the book right here with me. I think it's very fascinating how, cause it looks at mystics, famous mystics throughout history and from all different religions, you know, and, and different backgrounds and things. And it's, it's fascinating how it analyzes how each of them approaches it differently yet it all kind of, they're all kind of uh, trying to achieve the same thing without really knowing it. And mysticism is so fascinating. And just the first section of the book that I'm in, cause I'm a slow reader, is just trying to define what mysticism is. And you kind of come out of it with like, you can't really define it. The more you try to define it, the more confusing it gets. It's, it's just something you kind of have to inherently understand. And it's, it's really more about the journey rather than as as the destination is important, it's really about how you get there. That is that mystic experience. And so I just was kind of curious, like, as what are your thoughts on, cause that's from an academic standpoint and I think you'd like the book, but what are your, some of, some of your thoughts on what it means to be a mystic or to live that mystic lifestyle and how do you go about what in, in your words, I guess, if you could define it, I know it's not easy to define, but it's fascinating to hear how everybody has a different kind of take on it. Right. Well, outside of myself, like using the name mystic Mark as a, you know, catchy I know business it's kind of name. A, I know it's kind of fun. It's more of like a, a, well, a no, a, no, a nomer, you know, it's not necessarily, it, it's a fun thing, but I, I know you're into that. I know you're, you uh, take the mystic approach. You know what I mean? I know mystic Mark's kind of just like your nickname on the streets, but I do believe that you were, <laughs> that's your street name, I, but I do believe you, you are someone who does kind of approach that path, you know? This is, this is why, this is why I was called Mystic Mark right here. All, oh, dude, those are great. All these. You make all those yourself? Yeah. Phenomenal, yeah. dude. I, I make those and I, I mean, yeah, in all, like it, the origin comes from that, selling the crystals and having like a, uh, business name for that but yeah i am definitely someone who is interested in the mystic experience you know and whether or not i've like directly had any mystical experiences eh, i don't know not anything to write a book about i've definitely talked about 
a lot of different things on my podcast. We've had this conversation on your podcast. I mentioned some things here today that might elaborate on it, but also, you know, to add to it, I would just say it's about connecting with your intuition and, and for certain people, it might be what it is for me. For certain people, it might be something entirely different. You know, I think with interests that I've had and wanting to understand how, you know, magic works, how crystals work and this sort of thing, it's just like one mm-hmm. thing led to another led to another. And, and, and that's just the nature of life. And there's something mystical about life. So everybody is a mystic. It's just the problem is, is most people have been kept ignorant of how to connect with the greater reality outside of the five senses. Right. And that's something particularly in this, in this book that I'm reading that talks about is basically the, the path of the mystic or the mystic experience is outside of the six senses. Like they can't, it's something that is kind of undefinable because it is outside of the, of the physical senses. And it's, it's kind of that connection to source, if you will, or to the, the ultimate, or, I mean, there's so many different words for it. It could be God. It could be anything really. There's something that, but it's like, we, everybody has that inherent ability within them. It's just a matter of tapping into it and also letting it kind of manifest itself. Cause it's not like one day you just I mean, I think, I think people can have instantaneous kind of mystic experiences, right? Where they perhaps see something in a new light. They have some, they're meditating and they have some sort of change in consciousness. But I think the mystic path is just the path to ascension, whether that just means improving your consciousness every day or truly ascending to a new level of consciousness. But I don't even know what that means. Like what, if it's a new level of consciousness and we're all on this level of consciousness, how do we know what we're aspiring to? You know what I mean? That's something that has always kind of inspired me and baffled me is, you know, it's like, imagine a color you've never seen before. It's like, what? I only know certain colors. No, there's other colors out there. You just have never seen them before. It's like, okay, how does that work though? But it's, it goes back to beyond the senses. I don't know, man. It's just one of those things. You just got to ask the right questions. I mean, You're doing that already. You have a podcast. That's the perfect place to do it. I would say everybody listening who wants to learn something new, I mean, the best way to do that outside of using the, you know, technology of the day, go to a used bookstore, you know, and just like, just let your intuition guide you to something. It doesn't even have to be in the nonfiction section. I mean, I had a, a conversation with Mitch, the orgone donor recently And he talks about, you know, Arizona and all these different things he's doing out there to reconnect the energies and make it rain again with Oregon. And it connects totally to this novel that I bought a couple of years ago called The Monkey Wrench by this guy, Edward Abbey. And, you know, he's written a bunch of cool books, but yeah, it's just, you know, no matter what you find like you're going to see the synchronicity appear. Dude, it's so speaking of synchronicity, it's interesting that you said go to an old used bookstore. Did you get recently, <laughs> recently, I was in eastern Oklahoma visiting some family and we went to this kind of like an antique flea market store, you know, okay. 
And I just went this first section I was drawn to just had all these books and you could tell each, each section of the store is like somebody's booth, you know, that they rent out. And this is one of the books I found. It's called Genesis and the synchronized biblically endorsed extra biblical texts. And it's got like the book of Enoch in here and all the different, like the extensions of Genesis and things like that. And I just, I was like, it was a dollar and I was like, shit, I might as well buy this book. Yeah, dude. Yep. One dollar, one dollar for this big ass book. I was like, that's cool. And I kept going through it and I found cosmic codes, hidden messages from the edge of eternity. I mean, also a dollar. And I just, I found all these books that I'm like, why in this, in what we would consider a a hillbilly bumfuck town, would all these crazy books, because in the same stack of books were books about like 9-11 and like truth or book. It was crazy. I found shaping history through prayer and fasting. I mean, right up our alley, right? And then the late great planet earth. And I don't know what it's about, but over a million copies sold. Where is mankind headed? Oh, it's a, <laughs> I bought this cause it's funny. It's a, it's a Christian. It's from the seventies. I believe it was written. And it's like a Christian's uh, prophecy of where, <laughs> how we're all going to die. And I was like, I bet some stuff in here came true, but, and then also just for fun, as I was checking out, I found these obscure postcards. This one is, it says Bigfoot on it. And it's just a lady <laughs> that with like someone in a Chewbacca costume hugging her there's like a hundred of these like someone made a hundred copies of these to make as as postcards and then another obscure postcard i found it says get the net bubba and it's these two kids with tinfoil hats on fishing dude that's good you guys it was just so obscure man i was like you take a good picture of both of those with your cell phone and will you make that the cover art for this episode? Oh yes, dude. Absolutely. <laughs> Get the net Bubba. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that. That'd be great, dude. That'd be fantastic. But that's just, you know, I was in this little town. There's nothing going on. This is like one of like three stores in the whole town. And my fiance just dragged me in there. I didn't want to get, cause she was looking at all the, you know, antique stuff or whatever. And, I go to this section, I find these weird freaking books that I'll probably never read, but they were fun to buy. You know what I mean? And then I found these weird postcards. It's just like, who, what are the odds that it took me all the way to here, you know, this eight hour drive or whatever to find these little synchronicities that I didn't find at home, you know? Right. It's yeah. just interesting. It's interesting to think though where, where the world can take you. Yeah, I, I encourage everybody to do it. Not too many people, because then there'll be less books for me to grab. But I'm trying <laughs> to get I'm trying to get my own little library going here. So we'll see what happens. Dude, but, you need another um, bookshelf, man. I can build you a, a nicer, bigger bookshelf if you want that can fit all your books. Got, oh, hold on. Oh, you got more over there? Oh my god. Oh my gosh, Mark. Yeah, bro. <laughs> and I got some over there too. Some underneath well, it's like this me with- TV. That's like me with with uh, beer cans. <laughs> Let me sh- switch cameras here. Oh, See all damn, those cans man. up top? You would love our yeah. frat house, dude. That was like the oh, decor dude. at the old frat house that it's I was One of those cans of. is a unique beer. And well, it's because, you know, I the reason I uh, kind of, I don't drink, I try not to drink as much as I used to during podcasts. But when I started the show with my co-hosts, it's because we'd hang out together and like on a Saturday night and we'd, you know, have a few beers and start talking about stuff. Like 
kind of interesting topics, but mostly just kind of silly and dumb, which was fun, you know, cause you don't really get to do that all the time. And so that's why we started the pot. Like we did beer reviews and things like, like all those beers up there are from the beer reviews that we've done in the show. Right and uh, so now it's like, uh, you're right. I guess I can maybe figure out a new, cause you get into habits. You know what I mean? I'm just like, well, I'm doing a podcast. Might as well crack open a beer. Uh, but I think it is, I get, I get nervous, dude, even talking to you tonight, like before we started, I, got, I went to go pee and I just felt this anxiety. I'm just like, Oh God, what's it's Mark. It's mystic Mark. What am I going to do? You know? Oh, and I, I knew as soon as I got in here and we started talking it'd be fine, but it's just that. And I never used to have these problems, dude. I don't know what it is. Maybe I need to see a psychiatrist and not, no. uh, not a, not a podcaster. No, no, I'm just no, 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 no. Get dude, yourself I've... in some kind of MK ultra situation. Kyle, they'll find out <laughs> your conspiracy podcaster and you'll be done. <laughs> I've seen, I actually, when I was in college, I went to a therapist or whatever, and no one told me that she was an intern. Like she was a, another student, like getting her degree. No one told me that. And this bitch just started making assumptions about me like day two, like saying all this stuff, like, well, I think you're this. And I think you're that like not giving me medicine or anything, but just like telling me what my life was. And I was like, that's not how this works lady. Oh, and man. I stopped I stopped after like a, like a, you know, a few sessions of going, I was like, fuck this shit. This is a scam. Like, mm. this is how, how weak minded people get talked into doing things they don't want to do. I was just like, screw this, you know? So anyone out there, nothing wrong with seeking help, but just be careful where you get it. And I'm not a medical professional. This is not medical advice. <laughs> Myself and Mark are not liable for any decisions that you make. Agreed. Yes. <laughs> Cheers to that. And yeah, I, I hear you, man. I get nervous too, and it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, you know, because I know that there's going to be people listening, and I want there to be a certain standard. And I know you have that same standard for your podcast as well. And I try, yeah, I try. <laughs> well, no, for sure you do, and I, I think that it shows, and and that's why it's always a pleasure talking to you, man, because you clearly have, you know, a perspective. You have something to say. And I think if you just keep tapping into why you wanted to do this show in the first place and, and like what you're looking to understand about the world, you're just going to keep growing the show and growing the audience. And, and pretty soon you're going to be like, yeah, maybe I don't even need a beer. Maybe you'll be like, you get a sponsor or something and you'd be drinking freaking coffee sponsors, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm oh, crossing my fingers for that a coffee company oh, will just... sponsor the show. <laughs> Hey, you could look into mud water. I've heard that mushroom coffee is pretty good. Oh yeah. But, uh, I've heard good things about it. I've never tried it, but I've heard it's just like coffee. Uh, oh. but if I drink too much coffee, I will be tweaked out, dude. Yeah. I, I can't do it. I can't do it, but we can't legally endorse that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Let's hope a beer company doesn't sponsor me. It's probably the last thing I need, right. but if you want to out there, I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, well this was fun mark i appreciate it man this was a good time and uh agreed dude agreed um, we gotta we gotta do this do this again i'm sure i'll see you out in the ether on a group show or something like that soon so you never know you it's interesting who you run into when you're like someone's like hey i'm doing a group show and you're like all right i'm in and then you're like oh look who's here right it's like yeah yeah it's fun man but well, this hey, was any anytime you know anytime you want to have me i'm more than happy to join you and then also anybody that you come across that's not already a part of alt media united don't be uh shy you know send them over to me because we want to get as many people involved as possible and really spread the word and and 
you know, inspire people because no matter who you are, you can start your own podcast, quit your job and have your own business. You know, whether you get really good at podcasting or some other type of content creation, whatever it is, you know, there's an avenue for you to be, you know, a self-starter. And I think that's what we've highlighted with Alt Media United is a lot of really awesome podcasts with people who, for the most part, you know, don't have the benefit of a network, like outside of some really cool networks that guys like Chris Matthews and Joe Roop have built, you yeah. know, like Forbidden Knowledge Forbidden News Knowledge Network. News. Great, and dude. I would consider yeah. them like an in, independent network, you know, which is really oh, cool. Yeah. So that that's a big reason why we have them a part of it. They're awesome. Chris is great. And I've been on another show on there, the Inception podcast with Gloria Canning, oh. and she's really nice. Yeah. But, you know, so many really great people we've come in contact through Alt Media United. And dude, we, we have to build an empire. We have to build the counterculture. We have to resist. And this, well, if we resist in front of a mic and... Uh, that's all we can do. That's all we can do, man. But I think I'm, that's I'm down for I'm down for starting a revolution. I don't want to build an empire. Empires are what the old world did with the pyramids. You know what I mean? I know I mean, what you like mean. A, like a friendly empire. <laughs> you know, we're only going to no. destroy we're, a few planets. We're a cooperative. <laughs> you know, I like that you brought that up because in the sense of the word, like we're a cooperative. You know, everybody yeah. cooperates with one another for the good of one another. And, and it really isn't anything that holds any obligations, you know, like there are it's people voluntary. That's the important yeah, thing. People it's are in the cooperative even like not everybody chips in, not everybody is a part of it in the sense that other people are, but that doesn't make them any less a part of it either. Cause that's what it's all about is, you know, the audience finding the, the show through our cooperative. And that's, what's most important is that people get something out of it. You know, I think a lot Absolutely. of people have, you know, especially with these swap casts, you know, that's my favorite my favorite part, brother. So yeah, anytime let's do this again. And I know we'll be in touch soon, but thank you so much, everybody out there listening from the big dumb podcast audience and from my audience on the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast. Have a great moment wherever you are in the now.